everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we are stepping into the ring. We are here trying to get out from underneath the pressure of the Iron Claw. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! That's right. Today, we're reviewing The Iron Claw. Uh, we'll start with an icebreaker question before jumping into a spoiler-free review, and where we'll also provide a verdict on the film. And then we'll conclude the show by going into an in-depth spoiler discussion. We're also going to kick things off, talk a little bit about some award shows. We are firmly on the award season watch this year. So we're going to actually, before we even get to our icebreaker, we're going to be talking about the Golden Globes and also the Critics' Choice Awards nominations. Uh, but doing so, stepping into any sort of ring, there could be some physical altercations that happen at this table today. I, I hope we don't break the table. I worked very hard on it. But uh, to ensure that the table is not cracked in half, I'm joined by my co-host and award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker, Laron Chapman. Laron, please don't do a power move on me. Right. <laughs> well, and Mr. Caleb's being modest. He didn't let you know that everyone at the table here is actually in full wrestling regalia because that's how committed we are to our podcast here. At the Cinematropolis. So. Laurent's just, he's saying that as he holds the belt over his head. <laughs> Look, we're all in wrestling uh, regalia. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. And uh, Laurent, I hope you're ready because you and I have the least amount of wrestling experience at the table. I have a, mod you, you, a modest you, amount. You, you surpassed me. Uh, for yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> I, I, wa I, watch, I, I watch WrestleMania in SummerSlam. It's like going to church on Christmas or Easter. You, you, watch, so wrestling, you watch wrestling SummerSlam. That's more accurate than you know. Yes. Uh, so, joining us are two people who have far more knowledge than the two of us. First up, she returns to us. She's a freelance writer and also the former host of Soundtrack on this very RSS feed, Alexandra Bohannon. Alex, welcome back. Hi. You can just consider me the fifth horsewoman of uh, this wrestling <laughs> podcast. Um, I'm great. I'm grateful to be here. I love wrestling media. I love uh, meta commentary about wrestling. And so I'm very, very excited to talk about this episode and this film. Well, it's always a pleasure. In fact, Alex is one of the folks who got me hooked on, well, I say hooked on, got me a little more plugged into the wrestling world, uh, gosh, what, almost 10 years ago, yeah, probably, somewhere in that. there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we've watched many a WrestleMania together and even been to some NXT matches with some group of friends. So anyway, Alex, glad to have you at the table. Yes. Uh, and last but certainly not least, I am super excited to welcome Kevin Ely. He's a senior features programmer at Dead Center, but also... More fun fact about him yes. is that he is the host of Fight Game Media's The Boom Podcast. Kevin, yes. welcome back to the show. I did not know this. Okay. Thank you. Yes, it's a it's a little it's a little under the radar, but yeah, I'm outing myself as a wrestling enthusiast. <laughs> I love it. Long time wrestling enthusiast. Full disclosure: this is a movie I desperately wanted to cover, but it was coming out on D Day of movies this year, yeah, which is right. December twenty second. Yeah, and we are not going to do Christmas. Uh, recordings, so I was like, oh man, it's a bummer. We're not going to get to this. So you reach out and say, hey, can we do this? And I'm like, yeah. I was I, like, I, I, please, I'm going to want to talk to somebody, somebody about, about this movie. <laughs> can yeah. you help me? And I'm like, A, thank you. Yes, if we do it, absolutely. I'm like, please 
the universe send us a sign that we can talk about this movie if, while it's still relevant. And lo and behold, a fan screening popped up in Oklahoma yeah. City so that we're able to watch it before we get sucked into the the, the holiday couple weeks uh, here. So, Kevin, thanks so much for reaching out and thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you. That's, I've always wanted to be on this podcast in the studio here. Yes. yes. So it's like, Wonderful. It's nice to be a guest in the territory. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you're welcome here anytime. Uh, well, listeners, before we step into the ring... And I'm going to make all sorts of terribly ill-informed wrestling puns. I wanted to note that if you enjoy listening to the show uh, and, and the conversation, please support us by subscribing or following and leaving us a rating and a review on your preferred podcast app. It'll help us get discovered by more listeners just like you. And seriously, I need there's a one star rating on Apple Podcasts that's at the top. Like I need someone else to go in and put a review in so who that would, it goes away. Who would do such a who thing? Would? Well, they said that they liked the idea, but we were too pre- pretentious for them. So, uh, and a little bit, Have you never bit, listened to film uh, podcasts? Yeah, I was going to say, do you listen to film <laughs> podcasts? Well, you think that we're too pretentious. Just wait until we talk about the Golden Globe Awards <laughs> airing on Sunday, January 7th, 2024. And this is actually a cool development on CBS, as it always has, or on Peacock. Finally, experimenting with the dual live stream airing okay. format the way it, mm-hmm. yes. Finally, geez. I have one nice thing to say about the Golden Globes today, guys, <laughs> <laughs> I promise. So this last week, we had a couple of different big award shows announce their nominees, the first one being the Golden Globes. And here's the thing. The Golden Globes was effectively canceled in, I forgot this right, 2022 due to a scandal in 2021 about potential corruption amongst its uh, the Hollywood Foreign, Foreign Press Association. Yeah, I know. Gasp. Right? <laughs> I'm not going to go into all that. I, I don't really want to give the Golden Globes more airtime than it deserves. But it is a thing. They are back doing a traditional award ceremony. They have allegedly made their judging group uh, association much more diverse, which was one of the criticisms they re- received before. So I'm going to start with you, Laron. Mm-hmm. Why talk about the Golden Globes uh, as an awards conver- as part of the awards conversation? You know, outside of the like the inner politics and some of the kind of scummy things that do happen behind the scenes with these, I do eat up all of the awards awards seasons fodder just as like the little bite sized appetizers to the Oscars for me. If for no other reason because they're building a narrative around some of the films that I'm championing, you know, so. I don't think the Golden Globes is a great, um, in, you know, predictor of the nominees or the winners of the Oscars because they always throw some weird, wonky choices in there. But in general, it does give you a general sense of like the movies that you know are the most popular right now or that are being talked about that we'll probably have more conversations about as the season goes on. Um, so I enjoy it for the pure entertainment aspect of it. Um, but it has over the years, there's a lot of, uh, kind of, I mean, I'm called corruption, you know, um, that's kind of been going on behind the scenes. It's a little icky. And I do think that that's kind of dangerous or kind of cancerous to the whole affair because it can bleed into the other, uh, the other, um, ceremonies as well. So don't agree with the, the body or the institution necessarily, but I, I'm a lover of film. So if we're talking about movies in any capacity and I get to see the stars, talk about things and see people that I love getting awards, then 
that aspect of it I do enjoy. It's one of those where I feel like everyone who participates in terms of the celebrities feel the same way because they all get, this is the show they typically get wasted at. Sure. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's the one that doesn't right. matter the most. They're all at tables. Yeah. 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 It's like the one that matters the least. So it's yeah. kind of like, yeah, you know, we're here. Let's just Yeah, we'll eat this free drink. booze. Yeah, let's go. Uh, booze, yeah. Kevin, what's your take on, on the Golden Globes in general? Um, you know, growing up, it was always like co-equal almost. I mean, not my, you know, it was always like the B- thing you know and now as you find out like what all went into it that it's basically like you know a uh, a group of people who basically could be bought you know allegedly mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. of like that it's basically an extension of the marketing arm i feel like after the sort of cover the veil got torn over it you know away uh, the last couple of years it's kind of like everyone has come to terms with what it is and what it isn't and yeah. sort of is like treating it for just what it is, which is basically like this is a way to hype up prestige releases and, you know, kind of be a marketing campaign. And I agree, too, that it's sort of I don't know if it influences the Oscar conversation as much as it bolsters it, you know, in a way yeah. that like these narratives are, are are there. You know, I feel like this is kind of thing with like this time last year. Um, did they have the awards last year or did they just not get I think I think last year they was the, they did do it. They did do it the, the year before that they didn't air it and no yeah. one was present, yeah. I feel like it's almost like um a lot of the, especially the actors you're like this is my audition speech for my Oscar speech. Mm. You know, sure. it's like if I can create a great Golden Globes moment then like Oscar voters might be like, "Oh, I want to see that again." And I feel like that's kind of true of all the award season now is that right. You know, it's like if you like a Remember the everything everywhere all at once last year. Yeah. The the cast of that really, mm -hmm. you know, I think everybody was rooting for that. Of you know, of of people who would be this audience. You know, I remember being in Austin that night when they won, and this, and watching it at a sports bar. You mm. know, filled with film people who stood up and cheered when it won. It's awesome. But also, when you go back, you see like there was a campaign to like shell Michelle Yeoh's story, shell uh, uh, Q Yeah, thank you. Um, and even Jamie Lee Curtis of like building a narrative of like this being a show to, you know, a movie to root for. So I feel like that's kind of its place. And like LaRon, I'm kind of here for it as long as no one's like has any illusions about what it what is. It's really what it is. Yeah. 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 Well said. Alex? Um, I'm the person that pretty much checks out of a lot of <laughs> award show narratives. So Golden Globes for me is kind of where I get the first vestiges of getting caught up from what everyone, you know, in the producers guild and, you know, what the buzz is, it's kind of like, okay, we're solidifying all the industry buzz into a moment that then, like you guys were saying, like carrying the narrative of what films are, you know, what's the dark horse, what's the front runner, what's, you know, the kind of mid card, <laughs> Go yeah. take it back to wrestling, uh, taking the mid card pick or what have you. So um, to me, it's, it is a show and I'm glad that people enjoy it, but I, it doesn't, you know, it's not something I'm like, yeah, Yes, tune yeah. me into those Golden Globes every single year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a. I, I think I need to get on board, uh, Kevin, with you and Laron, and just acknowledge this is what this thing is. It's what's always going to be, and just enjoy it because I've been yeah. pretty cynical about it. I get, I get tired. But, I mean, but, yeah. I, I mean, also, I think that's I'm tired about, of having yeah. to have an opinion about it because I also, yeah. you know, that, that's one of the things. And I will say, to make it even ickier. Like, it just the whole thing is, like you say, a marketing machine. The, the, the Golden Globes is owned by a company that also owns several of the publications that are writing about it. So yeah. it just, it's a giant yeah. kind of circle jerk. Yeah. I think of it like yeah. the billboard music awards. Yeah. yeah. Like, you're like, yeah. this I'm, is a trade magazine doing their, that's know, actually a great like, way of framing it. It's mm -hmm. sort of like, this is the business giving itself stuff. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. And 
and things to talk about. But right. it does. I do think it does influence the, the narrative so much as it narrows the field down. Even yeah. even if Golden yeah. Globe nominees don't necessarily make it to, to Oscar, there's, there's a lot of overlap in the Venn diagram of sure. Oscar nominees and Golden Globes, even though it's not always. And those narratives, of it, course, are important in terms of well, for nominees for the films and things like that because. I feel like a lot of people win on narratives. You know what I mean? I think Jamie Lee Curtis won last year. I mean, on last narrative. year, yeah. She was yeah. most people's fourth or fifth choice, you know, for the Oscar. But but you know what? She went along with it. And I think, and I love her. And I'm glad I was happy for it in the same, in the same breath. But it was also just like, there were four or five more better performances in that same category, I felt like. it. But you know what I mean? Like, hey, but there was a narrative for a career win for her. It started here, you know? And, so it just kind of, you, you know. know. And two years ago, Coda. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah. These, yeah. narratives really are, the, I, I would say in a lot of ways are the, yes, the best film, but it's really the, the narrative of the marketing campaign that Kevin laid out. I think mm-hmm. that has a lot of sway. And I do think the Golden Globes has a role to play in that by kind of putting the, the early identifier, key identifiers of, oh, who are the people that we're looking at and what's their story? Yeah. And then, you know, and occasionally you get, you know, Leo finally got the Revenant Award. Uh, right. But there was a couple of Golden Globes he'd already won before that, you know? So. I, I think it's great you finally, but it's cool that you have i don't think it's i wouldn't shy away from some of the cynicism just because yeah it's because i feel like that's it's embedded into it too people are doing it with the oscars too there's a lot of people who just boycott the oscars now because they just think it's all political it's always been political but whatever (laughs) all of a sudden it's political you don't agree with it (laughs) you know yeah i I will say though uh and and i'm just gonna hit on the real quick highlights in a moment but this idea of them doing this the co-stream with the air i think is a brilliant idea and i've been saying this for years uh, the Video Game Awards, which has all sorts of other problems yes. about it that we won't go into <laughs> on this show, but is a show that year over year continues to see marked um, improvements in ratings and viewership, and it's fully online, fully online. Uh, I think it was like over 150 million people tuned in this year. Now, what's a what's a view on the internet versus a view on the TV is a whole mm-hmm. different conversation, yeah. but I think by opening this up, by co-streaming it, it does make it accessible to a whole other audience who might otherwise, I mean, I know I don't have cable. I have to use an antenna and I just think I'm yeah. old school for even same. having an antenna, yeah, same. you know? Yeah. So uh, I think the Golden Globes opening up a stream on Peacock's a great idea, and I'm, I'm hoping we see uh, other ceremonies like the Oscars follow suit. But here, real quick, just for listeners, let's hit on some of the highlights here. So Barbie ties for the second most nominations for any film, I believe, in the history of the Golden Globes. Oh, wow. has 10 nominations, including Best motion, motion Picture Comedy, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Performance by an Actress and Supporting Actor. Yes, they did put Gosling in the Supporting Actor category here. What? I know that, I thought that was interesting. Interesting. Hmm. Oppenheimer came in right behind it with eight nominations. I won't go down all those. And then Killers of the Flower Moon also, I think, had six. So those are kind of the three heavyweights in terms of the Golden Globes this year. Again, really not wanting to spend a lot of time on the actual awards themselves, but just so you can kind of identify who are the front runners. And hey, uh, Laurent, you and I have already mentioned this on other podcasts. It's going to be super great to see some really popular movies yeah. And the awards convo, actually good ones yeah. too, like yes. good, good commercially successful movies that right. are also good movies, um, and not just those ones that just make it in. And you're just like, what, you know? So that will be nice. One thing I do want to mention just about the Golden Globes that I that I do not like the. I think it's really gross. This new award they have about. The cinematic box office, the box, office achievement. box office achievement, which you yes. could just go ahead and call the Barbie Award, yeah. right? Because <laughs> we all know what won. It's like, but it's just very, it's just, 
As if winning a billion dollars wasn't an award. Let me think <laughs> right. of yeah. the award is we for. Like, let's yes. stroke the ego it, is further. Is it really more of an award for the marketing department of yeah, these that's, films? That's, like, you yeah. should, that's who should yeah. get up and get the award. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Best marketing department. My, listen, and, my yeah. Barbenheimer shirt that day <laughs> that's, contributed you know, to this. Okay. Yes. You want to talk about that's who should win. They should award it to both of those teams. Yeah. Yes. Because Absolutely. that whole thing of saying, like, we're going to be out on the same day. And actually lean into that. Yeah. It was genius. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, Barbie was going to be fine, but Oppenheimer. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's right. so Oppenheimer many benefited saw. more, yeah. I think. I absolutely agree with because that. Because of Barbie. So, yeah. But that's interesting, right? Just, yeah. Uh, they did have awards for best stunts, which is something we've been talking about for Oscars for a while, uh, which awesome. is great. Nice touch. If you're morbidly curious, you can check those out <laughs> Sunday, January 7th on CBS or Peacock. Let's move on to the Critics' Choice Awards. Uh, so these are going to be airing on a week later, Sunday, January 14th uh, on the CW. And sadly, as far as I could tell, is not going to be co-streamed. Uh, okay, so the Critics' Choice Awards is just that. The Critics, um, we've had actually had several members of the show, uh, several members of the group on our program, Craig Sanger, Jason Black. Uh, but it's it's basically critics from around the, the world voting on their picks our favorite movies of the year. They also do television, much like the Golden Globes. So, Leron, again, I'm going to pivot here. Critics' choice, more more important than the Golden Globes. To me, yes, but no. In, 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 the, in, the, in the larger machine, no, yes. not at all. Yeah. They don't they don't even vote in the. They're not academy. They're members. not academy members, so yeah. it's literally just opinions at that point. But <laughs> but it's it is interesting because I do like that it um it gives they typically go for the more avant garde or the weird or the weirder stranger smaller mm-hmm. indies and things like that. They champion the the underdogs more than the Golden Globes. Kind of goes very commercial, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that's. Really, the only advantage here is that maybe if one of those wins, then it's a name and a headline. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, and that matters as the campaign goes on. Even like Lily Gladstone winning at the Gotham Awards yes. for right. a movie no one saw. I right. did, but no one saw really. And so, um, even though it wasn't for Killers of the Flower Moon, it's her name and a headline. So that helps. Like, who's this girl? You know what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. so if someone doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Might might shift their attention to the killers. Lily Gladstone's a great example of, I and mean, we'll see of narrative potential though, because her even running for uh, if she gets nominated for best actress at the Oscars, mm-hmm. yeah. she will be the first Indigenous American to mm-hmm. be nominated. Mm-hmm. On top of that, if I, she wins, be if she wins amazing. would be I mean, even it would more be a Michelle Yeoh moment, right? You know, like, but yeah, yeah. Are we gonna get two of those in a year? I don't uh, know. Two of those, mm-hmm. right? uh, well, yeah, but the narrative around her is starting. Like yes. that she's yeah. won all these awards and I even read an article today. I can't remember what site it was or if it was a credible place or, or just someone's blog, but it was, um, you know, talking about her picking up these awards and building momentum mm-hmm. and becoming like this sort of like, Oh, she's sweeping. Like it used a thing of like, she's sweeping mm-hmm. all the awards so far. And it's like, okay, well you're going to be up against Margot Robbie mm-hmm. and you're going to be up against um, Emma Stone, Emma Stone. Stone. And let me tell you, if you've watched the curse, on yeah. Showtime. Oh, it's so good. The idea of Emma Stone beating Lily Gladstone <laughs> for an Oscar in that context. In that context? About, oh, that way. Huh. You got to watch the show. Okay. Just, mm. Okay. I, yeah, I, I'm curious. People keep telling me it's something to see. It's interesting. But. There's, uh, it's about, yeah, it's about a lot of things. Indigenous. It's, a, it's about, a little bit about white entitlement. And, yeah. Oh, wow. And okay, especially so. in, a, in like native settings <laughs> yeah. and like appropriation of like. Sure. Clout chasing, basically, mm-hmm. of like native culture, 
and she's the very well intentioned but still equally way to have your narrative icky. go against your narrative. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, see, here I was thinking. I was thinking when you brought that up. My initial thought. That's actually I hadn't made that connection because I was thinking of it more like the McConaughey. Whenever True Detective season one was airing at the uh-huh. same time the Academy was voting for uh-huh. Dallas Buyers. Oh Club. yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, I added to it. Yeah. Because right. I actually think. Emma Stone in that show is she's fantastic, fantastic, yeah. and she's really fantastic in Poor Things as well. But yeah, like Lily Gladstone, guys. I mean, come on, she doesn't need. It's one of those things. It's like me with Kate Blanchett last year. That was the best performance of the year for me. But I also thought, I also thought she has two Oscars, yeah. and, <laughs> and Michelle Yeoh is incredible in this movie, right. and she has a whole career of unsung right. performances. So. This is the way to go, guys. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, uh, any other thoughts on critics' uh, choice and the role they play, Kevin, Alex? Oh, actually, I do have a question. How? What's the mo- voting membership like? Who who gets to vote? So, so the Critics' Choice Awards is like a, it's an actual organ, film critics organization. You have mm-hmm. to apply to become a okay. member, and it's a whole thing. You have to get voted in. So, yeah, six hundred mm-hmm. critics according to their website. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so here's just a couple of the highlights. Uh, Barbie, once again, at the top, uh, set a record 18. of 18 nominations. Three of those a lot were just for best song. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if one of this is going to win. Uh, tied for second are Oppenheimer and Yorgo Slanthimos' Poor Things with 13 nominations each. Killers of the Flower Moon coming in right behind those at 12, including Lily Gladstone for Best Lead Actress. Um, here's a few of the other movies I want to uh, call out. The Holdovers had eight nominations. Maestro. Uh, Maestro. Nominations. American Fiction has five. Keller Purple has five. Past Lives has three. Salt Burn ugh, has three. Um, <laughs> sorry. I, I, I wonder what your feelings are on these I don't know. Which movies Caleb? does Caleb not like and which ones <laughs> <laughs> he like? <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, yeah, tip my hand a little too much. Um, I, yeah, just in terms of the nominations, I think this is pretty fair. There's always a couple of these I think are hot garbage. That well, hot garbage is a strong word, not on the level as the others <laughs> that tend to get nominated a bunch. Um, Saltburn's an interesting one, and you know, I Maestro is apparent. I think that's among critics though, it's been fairly divisive. I think so too. Yeah, I, I think around people it is too. I don't think it's unanimous. I think it's one that people like Bradley Cooper. And yes. I do too. I do too. I do too. I actually, and I like I said, I do like the, I do like the film. I don't think it's perfect though, and I, I just feel it's like a perfectly solid biopic. Yeah, so perfectly solid. Really looks really good. It's it very looks well directed. Really flashy. It's yeah. nice. Yeah. Good performances. I just, I just, you know, I don't. You know, perfectly we, cromulent. Exactly. It's just it, it's something we see every year though. Yeah. So it's like it's nothing. It's not yeah. changing the the narrative. This anyway. is a Oscar movie. Yeah. Exactly. Quote. Exactly. Well, I'll put it this way. I, having seen both Ferrari and Maestro, I I I, I honestly have the same pro- problems with both of them. I think they're okay. both very perfectly fine. Very flashy. They mm-hmm. do certain things exceptionally well. But in general, it's just a very okay movie. And I don't feel like I learned very much about the people. Better, it's about Featured, the subject. You know, I'm about, like, yeah. I don't feel like yeah. I know them better, you know. But yeah. anyway, that's a conversation for another time, <laughs> I guess. Um, Kevin, what's your just overall take on nominations this year? Um, I uh, there's a lot I need to catch up on right now. This like Christmas time is usually my time to like really dive in and try to see as many. So there's, there's a, a lot ton, coming out. I, there's a ton I have not seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of intrigue and in, of things, there there's a lot that I'm really looking forward to. Um, the the stuff that comes from like cans, like Anatomy Fall, and um, even May December and things like that, are really interesting. The movies I have seen are really 
have been fascinating. I love that there is um, some major releases, like what you would call blockbusters, that are really have that artistic credibility, like Barbie and Oppenheimer. Um, so that's exciting. Uh, but there's all these little movies like American Fiction. I'm dying to see um, the holdovers. I've not been able to catch yet. Like there's a ton of them. I gotta get. I gotta start writing some reviews so I can get in on the yeah. screen. <laughs> <laughs> you're in for some. You're in for some treats though. Those are both for different reasons. Uh, the holdovers is ah, it's a yeah. magnificent film. Oh, oh I knew from the moment I saw that trailer, I was that like, trailer. this is just oh. gonna put it in my veins. Yes, yeah. put it yeah. in my Same. veins. It's Christmas. It's Christmas ham and turkey and yeah. all the thing. All, yeah, everything I want. Just a curmudgeonly Cozy. Giamatti is just like yeah. oh, he's it's like bread pudding it. to me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He crushes it. Uh, I, I'm I'm excited for more people to see that. And, and, and I, I think. Giamatti at the Oscars. I'm. I mean, he's got a nomination here, but I, I'm looking forward to him. Even if he doesn't win, having a, a yeah, moment. A moment. Yeah, a yeah. moment. Yeah, because yeah. he's. Yeah. I don't. I don't think he's, he's really so unsung. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Alex, any uh, thoughts on the nominations? I mean, it just it kind of again. It's more of that echoing. It's all echo chamber stuff, and to get into the Oscar push season, really. I mean, I'm glad that there are some kind of um, off the beaten path. Uh, path type picks that are getting some love that we don't necessarily anticipate, um, you know, winning the, winning the race at the end of the, the film season, if you will. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm again, it just gets you excited for whenever they televise the main event. Mm -hmm. Do we know the hosts for Oscars? I don't know when they announce that. Jimmy Kimmel again. Yeah. Oh, okay. He's their, he's he's their safe choice. Yeah. You know, honestly, he's the, he's fine. I would, yeah, he keeps it very consistent. He's consistent. Yeah. He keeps it entertaining enough. He pokes enough fun without going too far. It's like. I like it when they just kind of get out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Just get out of the way. Yeah. And yeah. he's gotten better at that as yeah. the more times he's done it. I think he's not an exciting choice. I agree. Yeah. But, but also here's the thing with the Oscars. Things are so uncertain with the future of the Oscars. Having us, the host safe. be the safe. It makes sense. Yeah. Makes they sense. have to Joe Biden the the, the, the <laughs> oh my God, they, yes. they just can't they just can't just look it's like, we can't have any radicals here right now it's too much yeah we can't bring back yeah. Anne Hathaway and definitely not James Franco sorry yeah. Yeah. Chris Rock and Will Smith co-host oh, oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> just really lean into it there. No, I mean, and that's kind of interesting with uh, Kimmel. I know we're not really talking Oscars, but um, just letting, really just letting the films shine mm-hmm. and letting the people that participated in the creation of the actual films instead of going too much on antics, you know. Mm-hmm. They've, they've tried it both ways where they didn't have any host and I, it's trade-offs every time. I do yeah. think, I do for me personally, having a host it's with nice. a very minimal, very minimized amount of screen time, yeah. but it's just there to add that more little delicate touch. More of a master touch. ceremony. Yeah, exactly. really more of like yes. a moderator, like yeah, a facilitator. <laughs> exactly. Oh, here's a quick joke, you know, yeah. Uh, all right, well, listeners, the Oscars are going, the nominees are going to be announced on Tuesday, January 23rd, and they will air on March 10th at 6 p.m. on ABC. And I know, I know what you're thinking, for at least two of us, maybe three of us at this table, yes, that is exactly the Sunday of South by Southwest again. Yes, yeah. again, and I, two of us will it. be there. <laughs> at least two. Hey, it was a great time last time. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, if we can, if we can sneak away at the end of the night on Sunday, I would love to do that. If there's not something great that yeah. we're going to be missing for the end. If of the I'm, episode. if I'm, if I make my way back in there again this year, uh, I'm going to call you guys up and find, figure out where you're at so I can join you. Because last year I had to watch the highlight reel for my hotel. If not, later. I will literally have to turn my phone off for a, a day and a half. It really yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't like being spoiled. It's just very bizarre. Well, different conversation. Yes. Let's get to our icebreaker question. So today we are talking about The Iron Claw, a film about a famous wrestling family. 
So I thought we haven't had this conversation on the show as far as I can recall. Who is your favorite wrestler turned actor? I'm going to make this a two part question. Number one is who has had the most interesting career and why? And number two is which performer do you like best and why? And it's one of those are two different things. Sometimes you can have a really interesting career, but your movies might not be the best and vice versa. You might have some amazing performances and an otherwise pretty, you know, uh, predictable career trajectory. I'm going to start with you, Kevin Ely, Mm. on this one. I feel like I'm going to steal everyone's top choice, but like Dave Bautista is really the only... I feel like he's maybe the only real wrestler turned actor as opposed to wrestler turned movie star. That's a yeah. huge distinction. Yeah. yeah. Because oh, he actually, um, he, he did, he, he did when he first started out going like, Oh, let's make a buddy action movie or let's, you know, can I become that? But I think the success of the rock actually, he realized, Oh, there's another path for me Yeah, that it's not to be the, 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 the choice when you can't get Dwayne Johnson. And so he chose some interesting roles. And I think I remember, I think it was, um, well, this would have been after Guardians, I think, but uh, the Blade Runner 2046? 2049. 2049. Yeah. <laughs> Two yeah. years rough. Uh, that first scene he's in, he's only in one scene in the movie. Yeah. And it was like, oh, there's like a, there's a soul in there, you know, mm, that yeah. he wasn't just playing like a big, um, you know, ironically, he was playing a very human character. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, and I think just his comedic timing, but also like the vulnerability that he shows when he plays. Like uh, knock on the cabin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, he's just got a lot of, a lot of things going on and I think he's serious about it. Yeah. And um, he, uh, yeah, he just has some interesting, interesting roles. And I'm always interested in what he's doing next. In, in- he's done a good job at so far, really making sure he's working with, the best mm-hmm. directors. Yeah, that's another mm-hmm. big thing is he's he's looking for great people and yeah. and uh and he's not trying to build an empire the way the rock does, you know, where it's like working with interesting people means I hire interesting people. Mm-hmm. But like right. he's he's going on board with Denis Villeneuve, you know. Right. Yeah. I am mean, even M Night with uh Knock at the Cabin, not my personal favorite movie of his, but it is a pretty strong outing and it's super showcase Batista's yeah, It's acting. a good highlight reel for him as yeah. an actor mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Alexandra Bohannon, I'll turn it to you. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's interesting, the wrestler turned actor, because there's that, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of argument is like, well, they're already actors, yes. you know, yes. based on their performance Film. in the yes. ring. But I, because it's also really interesting to think about Cena before he got his plugs, yeah. uh, his hair plugs, and then also, because <laughs> that's almost like this separate era of him. <laughs> but whenever he was doing these mid-budget $15 $15 million um, action movies, like yeah. the Marine, Marine Six, Six uh, yeah. yeah, with the WWE. So he was like kind of on that trajectory to be, I want to be action movie Ken. Um, but now he's just, he's fully embraced that and kind of entered into that era. Yeah. I mean, I love Cena. He was fabulous in uh, The Suicide Squad. Yes. And I haven't watched uh, the show um, that he's in, but I've heard that's really, it's, really great. It's awesome. It's a great extension of that. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, Batista has definitely had the career that I would say will likely have the most legs and is the most interesting. But um, as someone that also enjoys things, I also do love Cena's performances in, yeah. in the films that he's, he's in. And it's never a bad time seeing him show up as a um, mermaid man. Ken. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. So it's these little bit parts. Um, yeah. It's never a bad time. And, but that's a great indicator because he doesn't take himself too seriously. Right. Yeah. right. And yeah. he's always willing to poke fun of himself. And yeah. that's part of what works with Peacemaker is he's able to to be this ridiculous character that gets yeah. at toxic masculinity? You know, like he can he's willing to critique himself and be a 
subject of critique. Yes, mm-hmm. I think that's very interesting. I think he, for me, he's he's best when paired with a good director like James Gunn yeah. in Suicide Squad because also looking at the Fast movies, he hasn't, in my opinion, has not been the best. I mean, sure. him being there is nice, but he like the movies do not leverage him as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. so it feels like he's almost miscast because yeah. the movie's not playing to his strengths. Exactly, yeah, which is agree. strange because those movies are so silly, and right. yet and yet he feels sillier for it. You know what I mean? Like sillier yeah. in it. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. But, but in terms of, but I think when he's well utilized, when he has a good direct writer, director yeah. partner, cause like he has good just, comedic timing. Oh yeah. I liked him. He was the best part of, uh, was it train wreck? Yeah. Train wreck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was the best part of that for me. <laughs> like, but was that the one where he said a safe word was don't stop. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. Oh uh, yeah. man. Uh, amazing. Uh, Laurent Chapman. Yeah, Dave Bautista is 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 an interesting one for me. Like I I I've I'm coming around to him as an actor and I think that is specifically for the reasons you've mentioned is that you know, he's he is working with top-notch directors and and getting these very sometimes abbreviated roles, but um you know, like Knock on the Cabin is an example where like you get he has the where he gets to be a you know, the lead character almost and um, and I never was looking at him and saying, man, Dave DePeace is taking me out of it. He's taking me out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was actually leaning in. I was like, oh, he has something in there. There's something going on there. And I think if you're, like you said, if wrestling is a kind of performing arts of 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 sorts, just a different arena, um, then yeah, I mean, they're, they're tapping into that anyway. They have to have that showmanship. They have to have that kind of pageantry and that, you know, the ability to be charismatic and um, so I think he would still probably be my choice in terms of the most interesting. Um, like you said, The Rock's kind of just, I think what it is with The Rock is that, and I, I think he's super charming in, in certain ways. And, yeah. and there's a string of movies he actually are in that, is, that are actually good to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but I feel like he's so oversaturated and we've had The Rock for so long yeah. that I no longer like, I'm not excited about a Rock project anymore. You know what I mean? Like if yeah. he's in it, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm, he doesn't. He's not distracting anyway, but I just don't. Yeah. I'm not enthusiastic about Black, that. Black Adam is where the it kind of oh. see, and I didn't. I didn't even bother. It's not good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. Uh, um, okay, so hot take: most interesting career in terms of just the career trajectory and narrative. I actually do think The Rock's is pretty fascinating. Yeah, because he yeah. he tried. So he tried initially to mimic Arnold Schwarzenegger's mm-hmm. career, which was a brilliant choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and but then pivoted whenever he saw that. I mean, because he, he even you can go back and look at it. His early films were those big action movie, darker, mm-hmm. edgier action mm-hmm. movies. Then he started doing the family comedy, much mm-hmm. like Schwarzenegger. Um, and then he kind of, I think he saw where the money was and that's when you can see him stop taking on less dramatic roles, Mm -hmm. uh, and start to shift towards the rock as the brand, uh, a little bit. Um, which frankly I'm with you. I think the rock is the brand, all those movies. I mean, you look at rampage, you look at, um, I don't know what, what's another one, uh, the skyscraper, like those movies are trash. And what's funny is. He saved the Fast and Furious. I will go down and say he saved the Fast and Furious franchise. He was a key ingredient to Fast Five. But what's interesting... Promise, we're not going to make it a Fast and Furious podcast. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? Everyone's always teetering on the brink. Yes, that's true. Laurent <laughs> and I at the same table. It's always on the brink. <laughs> uh, but what I will say is, when you when you go back and watch Fast Five, he's actually edgy. He swears. He's beating the shit out of people. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you follow, it's interesting if you watch those movies, especially close together. His character 
morphs from this like darker, edgier, kind of like gritty uh, rogue mm-hmm. FBI agent into the rock, the brand. And it, the brand. it's through them. And you can see it in all the movies, which kind of explains a little bit of the breakup he had with Vin Diesel mm-hmm. um, where he was. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, there's a lot there, but it, it's just interesting because the his latest form, the Red Notice Rock, I I don't really like it at all. But if I look at all the zigs and zags, it's been pretty compelling. And just this last week, it was announced that he will be uh, starring in an A24 film okay. about an a- MMA legend, Mark Kerr, mm-hmm. directed by Benny Safdie, who was obviously oh, one of the Benny Safdie Safdie brothers. going to direct that. Wow. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, okay. That is that so is weird because <laughs> the Rock's like. 52, I think ish. Mm-hmm. And Mark Kerr was probably 25, <laughs> like when that story is happening. Yeah. And so I'm, it's interesting to me that they're actually doing like we're doing this real life story mm. uh, versus let's do an inspired by type thing mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's going to be, I don't know, like hard to take, hard to not see that. It's going to be hard. Diff- yeah. Diff- yeah. Yeah. I'm really curious. I'm hoping it leads to The Rock taking on. I mean, yeah. that's the. I mean, Safdie's did it. With, that's a fascinating with Jim, choice. Right, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, uh, uncut gems with Sandler. Yeah. It's like yeah. I, I want because if you go back and look at The Rock, he had a really good mix of comedy, but also had you could see the dramatic potential there that he yeah. never really leaned into. So I'm hoping we can he can again partner with someone who knows how to like bring the best out of him in that way. Yeah. So Brendan Fraser and the Whale sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Where bring out whatever. Yeah. Like we all liked Brendan Fraser, but he did George the Jungle sometimes. So it's like we know that there's something else. Yeah, I there, wonder though. if that's the play. If he's sitting there thinking, I need to. Also, the Fraser yeah. mummy connection with the Rock. That's kind of an interesting. Yeah, Scorpion King well, comes yeah. home. Yeah. The other thing with the Rock is, uh, speaking of Black Adam, that movie flopped epically, yes. and so the Rock immediately pivoted back to the Fast franchise after mm. leaving it. So I, I think he's in a position he's smart, where he's, man. he's having to pivot a little bit. So um, yeah. anyway, uh, and also I just want to call out. Um, Mickey Rourke, we haven't mentioned him yet. Another, mm-hmm. uh, again, I, I hear he's actually pretty hard to work with, but um, yeah. there's the wrestler, the movie, but he even did the, the Iron Man sequel. William Schwarzenegger has an interesting career. I mean, yeah. he became, what, what of California was it? I, I forgot which. Governor? The governor. The governor, the governor of California. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting trajectory, action movie, wrestling action movie than mm-hmm. that, you know, like that. Yeah. And then, I mean, Andre the Giant, I mean, you can't. Yeah, I almost, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the Princess Bride. A lot of people know Under the Giant from The Princess Bride. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they don't really realize how different that Fezzik character is from everything that had been he had portrayed to people. He was always mm-hmm. kind of like when he was a good guy, he was always kind of like, you know, yeah. I'm going to put the little wrestlers on my shoulder and, you know, and <laughs> like, you know, be like this friendly guy. But the gentleness that mm-hmm. he portrayed in that mm-hmm. movie, I think, was a revelation to a lot of people. In a, it's just a real special, singular performance. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I do agree, though, with the table. I do think Batista is the, yeah. in terms of acting, best one right now. Even mm-hmm. though I think The Rock's got a really interesting career journey, yeah. I, yeah. I think Batista is definitely the one I'm watching the most closely and, and always excited to see what yeah. he does next. I did learn this interesting fact recently about um, The Rock. Was he had, I think, his third role on TV where, and then one that actually wasn't wrestling necessarily adjacent that he was on an episode of Star Trek as an alien. Really? Writer. The rock was? Yeah, he was, and it wasn't doing like the eyebrows. He wasn't doing, I don't think he was doing his <laughs> shtick, um, but yeah, he was a alien fighter on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So, wow. Yeah. It's, well, it just shows that like, he's kind of tried a little bit of everything. And I yeah. think wrestlers trying to break into the mainstream, they go through these avenues like, okay, we're going to get on TV. We're going to try and, do these different channels until mm-hmm. they flip the levers. Like, oh, we got one that worked this time. Yeah. So. 
So again, totally different podcast, but you know, if you're if you're talking about the two wrestlers turn actor, you know, John Cena, I guess historically was had a huge grudge against The Rock for leaving wrestling for movies. And yeah, then himself yeah. ended up leaving wrestling for yeah, movies. He mm-hmm. And he apologized. Really? He in oh, an interview. Good. He did he did kind of say, like, yeah, I gave him a hard time back then. And now I understand. Like, you know, it's not and also the fact that it's like, well, yeah, but when he came back, everyone made more money. So, you know. Right. Yeah, everyone. It was a pivot. Yeah. It was a p- pivot and he had the business acumen yeah. to know like that was, yeah. yeah. And why would you pivot away from wrestling? Well, we're going to talk about it. There's a very good case for pivoting away <laughs> from wrestling. Yes. We're going to talk about that in our spoiler-free review of The Iron Claw. Ever since I was a child, people said my family was cursed. Mom tried to protect us with God. Pop tried to protect us with wrestling. He said if we were the toughest, the strongest, nothing could ever hurt us. I believed him. We all did. Morning. Pants tomorrow, please, David. Perry, I want you to join your brothers in the ring. Yes, sir. I love that. Now, we all know... Carrie's my favorite, then Kev, then David, then Mike. But the rankings can always change. What do you want in life, Kevin Von Eric? More ribs. <laughs> I want to be with my family. You know, be with my brothers. So according to IMDb, The Iron Claw is described as the true story of the inseparable Von Eric brothers who made history in the intensely competitive world of professional wrestling in the early 1980s. So just a couple of really quick fun facts. The Iron Claw is director Sean Durkin's third film following Martha Mercy, May, Marlene in 2011, and The Nest in 2020. The film, just to go down the rundown of the cast here, stars Zac Efron as Kevin Von Erich, who is the oldest son. You have Jeremy Allen White as Carrie, Harris Dickinson as David, Stanley Simmons as Mike, Holt McElhaney as Fritz, who plays as the dad, uh, Mara Tierney? Tierney, Tierney, yeah. yeah I had to get it right. As Doris, who's the mom, and Lily James as Pam Atkinson, who is Kevin's wife. Shava Guerrero Jr. Uh, served as the film's primary wrestling consultant in cameos as the Sheik. He is uh, from a very famous wrestling family, and I think he uh, also consulted on Glow, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Tracks, yeah. Um, so anyway, good to see some wrestling heritage uh, yeah. put into the production. Nephew of Eddie Guerrero, um, and that whole lineage there. Real quick before we talk about the movie and the spoiler free light, before we get into the spoiler section, I just want to quickly get your overall thoughts on The Iron Claw. Alexandra Bohannon, what did you think of the film? So I really enjoyed the film. Um, and here's my backstory as someone um, in my journey to wrestling. Uh, I've had the privilege of being an on-again, off-again wrestling fan for about the past decade, about as long as Caleb's been watching. Um, so I started watching the Divas Revolution, kind of NXT coming up era, um, whenever I felt like I, me as a, a woman was kind of getting more target marketed to because I only knew Attitude Era of how women were portrayed, very um, misogynist portrayals yeah. of women and obviously racist caricatures abound in wrestling history. So um, as the program started shifting to try and capture a, a larger audience, that's kind of where I started coming on board. So that being said, I have only a pretty recent knowledge of wrestling history and certainly not as old as the territorial days, which is what this film is depicting. Mm-hmm. So I have this relationship with re- wrestling, but I have no relationship with this history. And once I got the call that, oh, I'm going to do the pod, well, I'm like, definitely not going to. I want to experience the tragedy as if I know nothing besides the fact that there was a tragedy. 
Um, so I felt like I enjoyed this piece a lot more as a wrestling tone piece than necessarily a biographical depiction of the Von Erichs. And this is someone that didn't even really know a ton about the Von Erichs coming into, uh, the piece. Um, especially learning more of the history on the other side of having watched the film, um, it feels like the actual history points it was his hitting at times felt like they were getting in the way of the story they're telling. And some of this comes into like this weird, not, not a weird in like a surreal, intentionally surrealist or intentionally challenging edit style. But I think it just wasn't exactly, it was a very inconsistent edit and it didn't feel like intentional like that. It was not exactly nonlinear, but it wasn't straightforward either. Um, so I think people who are looking for a straightforward biopic of, you know, think pick any sports legend in the past forever, that kind of film, I think they might be disappointed. But I think where the film shines is more of leading conversations about wrestling and our relationship as audiences who, whether you like wrestling or you're just um, you're just getting into it for the first time. I think that's where more of it shines is more. The conver- it's probably the best depiction of wrestling I've ever seen in media like mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it's not quite hitting the mark as a story about specifically this wrestling fam- family. Um, and then I'm sure I only got a tenth of the references to have as someone as a pretty green wrestling fan. And then um, there are a couple scenes that there are some really great moments. And then there are some moments, especially towards the, it's like the last third of the film, um, that are a little uneven and there's some stuff that I like emotionally, but dislike intellectually. Mm-hmm. And I'm, we'll talk about that in spoilers. So yeah. that's kind of my, my take is I like it, but there are caveats. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that's fair. Uh, Kevin, uh, how about you? What did you think of the film? Um, so coming in as a wrestling fan, kind of the opposite side of the coin. Yeah. I grew up in the territory era, um, a little bit past this era. So, um, I, the first match I remember ever watching on, well, when I was very, very, very little, I watched a show called mid South wrestling, which would have been, um, around the, uh, this part of the country in Oklahoma, which is, you know, just right next to next door, basically to world-class. And I remember being like six years old and seeing a promo by, uh, which, which is a wrestling interview with um, a guy called Dr. X, who I just remember turning on the TV, this guy, like bulky guy with like this white mask with an X on it and blood is like seeping through the mask coming down his eyes. And he's yelling that like this, somebody hit him with a chair and I cannot take this mask off tonight because if I do, my brains will come out of my skull. Oh my gosh. Right. Amazing. Like he's yelling about so this good. and I'm like six and oh I'm like, gosh. what is this? <laughs> and my mom is like, Oh my gosh, turn it off. You know, stuff. So immediately I'm like fascinated and it's not until years later, there's like a famous 2020 expose where ABC like was like, oh, did you know it's all fake? And they like went in and like mm-hmm. heard from people how it worked. And I just became even that's when I got hooked was it was not the that it was some sport or something like that. It was the craft of it, just like when I saw Star Wars as a kid. But but it was when I saw the making of Star Wars that I really fell in love with movies it was when I found out the artifice behind wrestling that I was like, this is amazing. They go and do this every night in front of people's eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the Von Erichs were like known to us. They were huge stars in Oklahoma. But the events of this film, probably I probably became a fan. Like my dad and I watched 
the moment in the movie where uh, Carrie Von Eric wins the world title oh, cool. um, on TV wow. when it happened. And I remember, and I didn't know who David was. I just knew that, oh, he had a brother who just died. And it was, it, but it felt like a big deal because it's like it's in a stadium, a football stadium, you know? Yeah. And so there's this mythology that was, you know, and then just becoming a wrestling fan for the last, you know, whatever, how many, 30 something years. <laughs> um, uh, and just learning in and out and getting to know people who have worked in it in the writing side and things like that and then the journalism side of it. It's just a fascinating business to me. So this movie, uh, a lot of the same ways, it as an exploration of what wrestling is, uh, just fascinated me. And there's mm-hmm. tons of fan service in this movie in terms of Easter eggs. I could run down a list for just half an hour of like all the little <laughs> tiny things of how they'd say like, well, they don't love us in Missouri because the Von Eriks were bad guys in Missouri. And they don't say that. They just refer to it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's and kind of a if you know, you know. If you know, yeah. there's a ton of if you know, you know in it. Um, the way that they captured the TV presentation of the world-class TV shows with the graphics were immaculate. That's so cool. Um, that was great. Um, there, w- there was a lot that was there. But it sort of became this uncanny valley thing where it was like they got so much right that what they changed or left out became even more glaring. Glaring, mm, exactly. So it's kind of hard. The whole movie I was trying to reconcile this. Like, am I on board with this? Because I, as a, as a screenwriter, who someone had to compose a script before, I know you're not always going to like leave something in just because it happened. It has to work for the story. And mm-hmm. so all the choices they made, I'm like, I understand why they made that choice, but man, that's not right. You know? Mm-hmm. So there was that sort of thing. I think, I think I feel a lot of the same way that as a, how well did it tell that story? If I had come in cold, I don't know how I, if I would liked it. Um, as a wrestling fan, I appreciated the attention and the respect they gave to the business and the craft and the storytelling of it. Um, and I and I think they were sincere, but not really. Unsen- they were not sentimental. I mean, yeah. it definitely was sentimental at certain points, but like about the whole story, they weren't. They weren't too gushy with it. At the same time, they let a lot of people off the hook because <laughs> yes. the story is way worse than they even showed. It's <laughs> uh, hard so, to imagine. <laughs> so it's it's the kind of thing where it's like I have a lot of mixed feelings, but I really pre- I I have spent a lot of time thinking about it, partially just because we're going to do the show, but um, it 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 was a lot to chew on. And mm-hmm. I and I appreciate that about it. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to say this is definitely one I've have not stopped thinking about since I saw it uh, last week. Uh, but first, Laurent Chapman, what did you think of the film? So I grew up with a lot of. I was the oldest of a lot of boys, and so they watched wrestling all the time. And I was not a wrestling person. So, but I I feel like I had sort of sort of a you know periphery of of of, of the things they were watching. And how excited it made them about things. They bought the clothes. They did the, you know what I mean? They did <laughs> mm-hmm. fake matches downstairs. Uh, broke grandma's, you know, uh, flat screen TV. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> well, it wasn't a flat screen TV back then. It was that big bulky was, yeah, thing. The box, used to, the, the box oh. TV. Yeah, the rear projection Yeah, TVs, to this day, yeah. I don't think she knows how that it became busted. It was a, it was a, it was a crazy accident. Confessions yeah. on a podcast. Yeah, exactly. She'll later. never listen to this. It's fine. <laughs> it's like, but um, but no, um, I just wasn't. I wasn't into wrestling, and I think it was for the reason. The reasons I wasn't into wrestling was for um, all the things that I've. I mean, it, it is that artifice. Is it never felt real to me? Mm-hmm. Um, and I. And, but understanding it now. Um, as an art form, as a performative art form, and it is very physical, and you can get hurt, mm-hmm. very hurt, from doing these things. So um, I have an appreciation for it, and I think this film did a really great job of encapsulating, like you said, as a tone piece about mm-hmm. about wrestling and the mechanics of wrestling, 
And I think there's a really, a really excellent um, monologue with, um, with, um, got Zach Efron. How would mm-hmm. I not remember? He was on my wall for uh, my whole teenage years. Well, Laurent, I got good news for you. You got all the Zach Efron. We got a lot. We got a lot. But yeah, Zach Efron, um, excellent monologue with Lily James in the diner mm-hmm. when he's yeah. describing um, what it is yeah. and um, and the way he describes it without you know what i mean kind of like um like yes it is defend this. without defending it without defending yeah. it he explained it and the way he articulated it it clicked for me immediately why this works and why anyone would ever do it you know and mm-hmm. so um and that there is actually merit to it you know um from a creative standpoint um and that their people work hard for this they 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 you know what i mean they do a lot of physical work for this so it's like any other sport it it um, it has that athleticism. It has that that drive behind it. Um, I don't think. Um, I think that's what worked for me. That's what worked for me. I was like, with me having very limited knowledge of of even just the in, the, the enterprise of this of wrestling. That all was very fascinating to me in this movie. Um, the, what doesn't work for me is the biopic aspect of the story mm-hmm. um, because it's inconsistent and it's uneven mm-hmm. and they they find certain things to to pinpoint and draw in on which you would think would be countered with something else that's just not there you know so it just feels like they it's almost experimental the way they've done the biopic aspect of it some mm-hmm. parts are like painfully straightforward and then some things are like well, that's interesting if we just did this thing, like, you know, just yeah. the more abstract kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, more, um, it just felt more tangible. Um, and, and just, it's so, it's so choppy in that way that that kind of always kind of got in the way with me when I was watching it. But what kept me going besides the, just the general like aesthetic of the movie and being interested in, in um, the process that they were doing was I do think the performances are very good, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, they really even when I, the, the, the actual writing of the, you know, wasn't working for me, the performances grounded it for me. And by the end, I think that's what, what, what's tipped me over for, to giving this a p- actual positive review is I did actually, I was invested in that familial dynamic of the boys. I did yeah. feel that love between them. I felt the tragedy yeah. between them. You know, and so that it works as a human drama if it doesn't work as a biopic for me, you know, so. Yeah, yeah I would say pretty similar. So uh, highlights version of my wrestling experience at a, my best friend when I was like in the second grade was really into it, wrestling magazine, wrestling video games. And then my mom caught on and said, you absolutely can't watch any of that. <laughs> uh, especially you would be watching Attitude Era. So especially yeah. that was yeah. very naughty stuff. I, I kind of get in retrospect, I kind of <laughs> get was also issue. being marketed just to you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, that said, I did sneak around in uh, WWF Revenge on yeah. the Nintendo 64. <laughs> Let's go. But no, I kind of fell off of it, not, uh, you know, and just kind of moved on with my life until I got to college and I I had some some friends who were more interested, not fans, but they they had watched it and would talk about it sometimes. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of like a soap opera type thing with Mm -hmm. performance art. And I was like, well, that's pretty fascinating. And then catch up to when Alex, you're getting into it and we're talking, I'm hearing you talk about it with other people. And I'm like, this is really interesting. I'd love to go to a match sometime just to see what it's like. And then, you know, um, and and I, I love like getting together with friends and watching the big title matches, Mm -hmm. making the joke about the twice a year, but also even going to matches is just like a really awesome Mm -hmm. experience because like you were saying, Kevin, it's so impressive. These people put on this performance several nights a week, oftentimes 
when it's not even televised. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just really, really cool. And I love getting invested in like the, 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 the story arcs and, and all that. I mean, I'm a big Saw fan, so I'm not, it's not beneath me to get into like kind of trashy <laughs> long run <laughs> arc ones. So anyway, it just all really fascinated me. There's so many things, so little attention. Oh, yeah. I'm, so I'm never going to be like the most diehard wrestling fan to where I, I follow and keep up with it religiously, but I do really appreciate it as a medium. And it's a thing I really enjoy engaging in, with, especially with uh, friends. This film, I think, just to echo the sentiments here, I think, Laron, the family drama is really what works for me here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough because because it's also it's a biopic, but it's a biopic about a family, not an individual. Even though there is, but there is one character who's front and center. It just is a little as the form is a little messy. Yeah. Um, the the second half becomes almost episodic. Yeah. And yeah. the editing does not do you favor. It's it's very unclear on how much time is passing between each air quotes episode. Yeah. Uh, and it gets a little messy. It takes some swings that pull at the heartstring at the end that I think I've landed on firmly positive ground. But in the moment I was like, yeah, am I being, I felt like I was being really manipulated. Sure. Uh, I've I've rationalized it so that it works with the story a little bit, but you know, even in the moment I was like, Oh, this feels a little, little heavy, uh, a little heavy in how we're taking it on. But at the end of the day, I really did care about the the family and and seeing the tragedy that would ensue was just tragedies. Tragedies. Yeah. It was a snow. It was like a snowball. The first, and that's the thing. The first half was was so positive. You're like, Oh, I know I'm sitting here thinking it's going to be, Oh, it's, we're all a good family and something, one awful thing's going to happen and it's going to explode and they're going to turn each other. Not because I did not know the story. And what it actually turns into is a, is yeah, snowball. One bad Mm -hmm. thing happens, which leads to another bad thing. And then Mm -hmm. it's spiraling. And the next thing you know, you're like, this is one of the saddest stories I've seen on the big screen Mm -hmm. in a while. Emotionally, because of just the, the way that Sean Durkin has crafted the story. But also when you realize it's based on a real family, it's like so devastating. It's Mm -hmm. hard to believe it, it, it's it's real. real. Yeah. 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 Um, mm-hmm. So overall, I would say good film with a lot of caveats, but it's sticking with me for sure. This is mm-hmm. one I'll be thinking about for a long, a long, long time. Kevin, just in terms of the, the history, uh, mm-hmm. maybe I, I think you are the person with the most knowledge on this. How well did the film handle that history? Like I said, in my general thoughts, I, I think they, they were very, they clearly did a lot of research. They did. There were some very, very, like the things that were specific were accurate. So like, you know, this person had this match against this person in this town, and this is how that match ended. They, they, they pulled specific things and did it very real. There were a lot of like buried uh, things. When I talked about like the Easter eggs and thing, I think I mentioned it the night we saw it, that like there's a scene where Carrie, uh, they're all out partying with the boys, with all the other wrestlers like showing that, you know, once they're done, they all go out and they just go wild. And there's a scene where Carrie's doing cocaine. And the guy who gives it to him is like this very minor character in the movie, Gino Hernandez, who was a major star at the time they were. He was one of the big bad guys that the Von Erichs fought. And he died of a cocaine overdose in 1986. And so it's like it's this little nod to the story of like, oh, Gino's the one pushing cocaine on everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. and they never point it out. Um, So because it's for the fans because they have to know that. Right. And so there's a lot of that in there that the, the time compression that they did was really tough. And I think a lot of it was because cinematically what they were doing was they was giving you these markers because whenever there's a match, they would literally put up the screen, you know, here's the date that this happened. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, okay, every time time passes, they'll tell me there's a date. But then like a year would pass. And I would think like, just not going, how, how long do you think that movie took place over? Like once it got rolling, 
It felt like a it felt like a decade. It yeah, well, it, it, in real life, it was about a decade. Okay, I uh, mean, but the way it's edited, it, I, I will say, I there were the final I, third of the film feels like it takes place over like two weeks. Two weeks, yeah, yeah. no, yeah. exactly. I, I'm like, I'm like, is this a year apart? Is this yeah. a month apart? I don't know. And maybe I'm saying decade because I know I now know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so. But there's like there's like a there's a couple of events in the movie we can get into detail and spoilers, but. Um, there's a couple of events in the movie that happen as they're portrayed as if they happen in the same day and they were literally two years apart. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so there was a little bit of that that fuddled it and, and uh, um, moved it around. But in terms of like the broad strokes, like they got it right. I would, and, and I would say uh, some of the things that they under, that they almost undersold and didn't capture was how crazy over these guys were. Like the crowd noise that they had in there felt to me like, well, this is what crowd noise in a movie sounds like. But if you go back and watch those tapes of them, they would have to fight their way to the ring. Wow. Because women, like, I saw in a documentary where Kevin Van Eric was showing scars on his shoulders where, like, young girls, like, teenage girls are sitting there clawing at him. He would have to push through, because this reunion arena, I mean, uh, the sportatorium is like this tiny little barn. Uh. And they'd be coming up through this thing and they would have to like push through these teenage girls and fans to get to the ring and the the shrieks and the high pitched, like overwhelming, you know, people who went to that talked about how like their ears would be ringing on the way home. Mm. And I've, I felt like they almost undersold that in the movie, mm. you know, and it felt more like, oh, this, you know. Everyone's there watching wrestling and they're all cheering, you know. It was very well-behaved wrestling matches. <laughs> yeah, and I think that had something to do with the level of production they could do. And and um, sure. I actually had a um, an online friend um, who was an extra in the, you know, he got he got to be there when they recorded the matches. Nice. And he was talking about how, like, it was very kind of uniform. And he was, like, thinking this is not what the sport was like because it was, you know, they, they kept a distance from the ring to be able to film and, you know, so it was very like they, but like in the real arena, like everyone was really close up yeah. and, you know, and so I think there was a little bit of chaos that maybe just the, they didn't have the production team or the budget to like manage that much mm. energy in a space. And COVID could have been a factor too. Yeah, it could have been that too. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm sure there were some production concerns that like, you know, like the fact that they had a, you know, 40 seat, 40,000 people at uh, Texas stadium in one scene and they don't even show it. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, they probably just couldn't afford to simulate that. You know? Yeah. 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 What do you think? I don't think this is spoilers. And, you know, yeah. what do you think about the the merging of a brother? Because in the real yeah. story yeah. that we have, there is a missing Von Eric brother from right. the real. Yeah. Chris. Events. Yeah. And Chris is one of the most tragic ones. And yeah. they kind of merge him into Mike because his story is very similar. Yeah. It's the two youngest brothers. Mike is sort of the runt. Uh, Chris is actually like, if you recall, I don't want to demean him by saying that, but literally he was like five foot one. And all these other guys were like just incredibly athletically uh, gifted. And that kid wanted nothing more in life to be Kerry Von Erich. He idolized his older brother. Mm -hmm. He grew his hair like him. Mm -hmm. he, tried, he started taking steroids when he was 16 to try oh. to get that muscle up. And his body was just not made for that. And um, he tried to follow in their footsteps and would just break, literally break his bones, um, trying to wrestle. And he, and, and he could, he was one of the brothers who committed suicide because he knew he would never be what he always dreamed of being and what his father wanted him to be. Mm -hmm. yeah. He only saw him as a, uh, disappointment. And so I think they felt like, I like, again, it's talking about when we were talking about as a writer, mm -hmm. it probably made a lot of sense to say, these two people are the same arc. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to merge them into one, uh, because mm -hmm. it's, it's the thing where it's like the dream went too far. Yeah. yeah. And and we pushed people into this who weren't ready. Um but it was pretty glaring. 
Yeah. Movie wasn't well, that, there. It gets dicey. And we'll talk about more in spoilers, but it, yeah. it, it get, this is where it gets really hard. And this is why I right, think Alex, there's the real events. And then there's, there's, yeah. there's the yeah. film. And this is why I think Alex, the, the tone poem idea, I think about wrestling makes more, it works more that way for me than is like an actual historical recounting. Cause yeah. it's more about the feeling that mm-hmm. you're getting from these characters yeah. versus like an accurate representation. Cause whenever you go, cause now I've watched like a couple documentaries and mm-hmm. done some reading about the actual story. And now that, there's just a lot of events that it's like, okay, if I were pers- a person assembling this story as a fictional yeah. narrative, I would definitely combine these people. I would right. s- trim these events. I would take away would these children. Lengths. I would, I would s- yeah. yeah, I would, I would, I would take away all the wives and all of the stuff. Yeah. That's the other thing. Yeah. They, they were all married. Yeah. They were all married. They all had kids. Um, like most of them, most of the ones that, you know, made it to yeah. that age they did. Um, and, you know, reorder birth order and all mm-hmm. kinds of things. Um, but it's interesting when you know it now, it's like the risk There's like an it's like, oh, the ethical responsibility of yeah. these things. And like, just does it do a disservice to the person that also lost their life? Yeah. You know, it's just, right. But it's that. Yeah. But right. I, I understand it formally. Why? Right. Why, why it, they would do that. It, it's, sure. a t- it's a tough one. And, and in this case, uh, again, because this is how this family and popular imagination is going to be remembered right. by specifically by non-wrestling fans who've seen yeah. this movie, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, it does have a lot of weight to it. I will also say it gets dicey because I, I that's my question, but the family seems to have been extremely supportive of okay. this film. Uh, and they, inter- at least the interviews, so, yeah. the interviews I've seen anyway, yeah. they've been okay. overwhelmingly positive about how they were consulted, how the family was represented. They said the dad was, spot on which i was like oh no oh, he God. looks identical yeah. to the his, photos his posture and the way he'd stand with like his arch back and his big belly sticking out like mm-hmm. yeah he you can tell he watched a lot of tape yeah yeah it's yeah. good stuff uh quick question uh before we get to letter grades in terms of wrestling choreography and i'm really curious about how you got what you guys thought i'll start with you alex how did you think they handled the actual wrestling matches was it yeah interesting um, yeah, beyond interesting. For starters, I looked up um, EW did a, a cover story piece with um, the three leads, Efron, White, and oh, the guy, the guy that played yeah, David. Is it David? Dickens, Dickens? Yeah, yeah. Um, and Dickinson. They did a cover story with the three Dickinson of them. Dickinson and Atkinson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And um, in that, they said that they actually shot. They didn't just, I'm sure they got lots of little coverage and whatever, but they actually shot the entire match. Like all of these matches, they shot the entire match. They were really wrestling for these entire matches. That's nuts. And then they said also, the stars said, um, it's interesting you made that point about the pop of the crowd and how Mm -hmm. that really helps. They said that even just having the level that was portrayed on screen they started feeling like, oh, we're actually wrestling because yeah. we're getting the pop of the crowd and the theatricalness of the performance. All of these extras are actually doing the thing that yeah. real wrestling fans would do. They're not just being, I'm sure there's a plenty of background talent just sure. screaming, shouting, but there's enough wrestling. They're reacting to it. Yes, they're reacting. And, they're, and so that's such an interesting idea that they're videoing the, the, the discussions of reality whenever you have these layers of like we're shooting a movie that's about wrestlers which wrestling quote is fake but then they're also actually wrestling for real in the narrative and then the crowd is reacting as if it is quote unquote like real yeah, and it's just uh-huh. it's just so many layers it's like getting into like the rehearsal tier of like the layers of reality <laughs> that right. we're we're exploring here um so i was getting the point where i was doing my normal stuff when i watched wrestling i was marking out and i was sitting in the chair and i was just like oh 
oh, that's such a good spot. Oh, yeah. oh, and he took that fall and he got that bump. Oh yeah. my gosh. You know, and all of these great moments. Um, yeah. And so, and then Real I- Real quick on that. Yeah. The, my friend who was at the taping. So there's a, the spot in the, um, I forgot which match it was. It was it? I think it might have been the, f- I don't remember. It was one of, it was Kevin's match where he was thrown over the top rope. And he hits the ground and he can't get up. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was like, we thought, because he threw over the rope and he's supposed to like hit his rib on the corner of the ring. Yeah. And then lay the ground and then he, you know, stays there laying. And and my friend who was there was like, we all thought Zach Efren just killed himself. Oh, like wow. they they bit, you know, that he took that spot, he hit did the ground. He took that spot, no yeah. pad. He took that. Wow. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm they sure might have had the ring. Yeah. yeah. But like when he hit the ground, like they were like, <gasps> like, oh my gosh, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, what a great thing that they worked the extras, you know? Yeah. Like the, that's so cool the, that they bought for, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, I thought that was, that's actually one of the moments that I thought was really powerful. Cause it's kind of similar to real wrestling where there's a lot of moments where you're not sure are, you know, kayfabe, which is the simulated reality of the wrestling event you're watching versus the reality that we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of moments where it's like, I can't tell, you know, when that specific iron claw started going from kayfabe to reality pain and when that bump where he took off the you know he went over the top rope um when he took that spot like i was like oh is this a thing and it's like oh it's becoming more and clear that this he's actually Mm -hmm. injured and uh you know shaken and so that was uh yeah that's those are some of my favorite favorite moments in the film those kind of interactions yeah uh quick shout out i don't want to change the subject too much uh, but uh you mentioned zach efron taking really beefing it in that scene. Uh, you know, I, I was reading an interview with him. I'm trying to remember where it was. Maybe it was like uh, Vanity Fair or something. But basically he was like, whenever I saw the wrestler, Mickey Rourke's performance, the wrestler, he's like, this is what I want to do. Oh, cool. Yeah, he was really inspired. So he like how beefy he was. Like, yeah, I was like, kind of overdid it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think yeah. he, he was so into it. He, yeah. like, he, you can tell he shows up. I mean, his yeah. physical appearance obviously yeah. being the, the standout but but he could sell he showed up 150 mm-hmm. percent and the fact that he would do that just tells me like and not a stunt double yeah. for example it's just like yeah yeah he, he really went forward on this one and i had fr- wrestling fans uh shout out matt who haven't seen the film they're like oh he's playing he's playing carrie he's not playing kevin because he does right, look a lot so more jacked. like yeah. carrie mm-hmm. um but then it for it's the opposite way for i wonder why yeah. that choice is made but um, uh it's but, probably just because he went so hard on like getting beefed up and just didn't <laughs> stop yeah, yeah. um uh, as a non-wrestling fan what what it was your take on how the wrestling matches went well first i want to say it was a joy sitting next to you alex during, <laughs> during, during those wrestling matches because like a word i should have come back and sat with you a, a word i heard was often was nice <laughs> you know like and i was I so, I, so i feel like i was like so i it's like you were kind of like training me how to react yeah. to what i was seeing <laughs> you know so uh, that was fun um yeah, it, it was it was thrilling. It looked it was very and, and unsettling too because mm-hmm. that was the thing. It was what I normally see this as because I'm I'm a weird I'm kind of weird with sports in general just because in particular physically contact physical yeah. contact sports like with boxing for example like oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. can't watch that stuff because it's just like you're it's just, you're brutalizing your body. Yeah, like, I like my get, violence fake. Yeah, you have to get yeah. used to like getting a getting punched in the face and that's not a normal thing to do to your body you know and like so when you brutalize it that way and the deconstruction of it and like all the things that happen to you i just and, and it happens in football too concussions like we hear yeah. about all the time like yeah. but yeah. 
but there was something what what it did for me is it um it it, it took away that that campy Mm-hmm. corny aspect of it that I always saw it as and made it very real for me mm-hmm. where it was like even in the theatricality of this there is a rhythm and a almost like a ballet balletic aspect mm-hmm. to it mm-hmm. where if something goes wrong you will get very hurt yes. and uh, and so that made it more um, tangible and real for me so um, so as a non-wrestler yeah it was very thrilling but also very unsettling so yes mm-hmm. one thing real quick too is is I was I was thinking about through the lens of like okay how do how does this stuff get portrayed you know with like the gold standard being like Raging Bull and how expressive you know he Scorsese laid out those fights and talked about what's the story of this fight and what image is going to tell this fight one of the things that I liked about what they did was I felt like every match they weren't really like they didn't really care to tell you like this is what happened in the match like I I love that the fact that they actually ran down the match for the whole when they filmed it but what they showed you was like this is the emotional journey of right. the person who who is who we're focusing on. This is what Kevin is going through in this match, whether it's something being physically demanded or pushed or like, you know, even in the um the scene where um I think uh, he has a match with Ric Flair and Ric Flair runs off and he's he's got to take the mic and like I got to set up the rematch. Yep. And he starts fumbling over his words and uh David takes the mic from him and like becomes a bigger star than him instantaneously. Mm -hmm. And I love those moments of like, it wasn't so much about like the mechanics of the match. I think they captured it really well and the physicality of it and how hard it is. But like they, they focused on the right things I felt, which was like, this is what, this is what's happening to this person going through. Yeah. No, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I I thought the, the matches were just in terms of the shoot, like hearing the experimental nature behind that, that is super cool. Yeah. I thought the actual mechanics of it were just okay. If I'm being honest, but to your point again, it, that was the the style though, too, back then it was a lot of brawling. Right. Okay. Well, see, that's good to know as well. But I thought the movie does a really good job at focusing on the feeling of Mm -hmm. the match for the individual you're supposed to be focused on at that time. Yeah. Um, and again, it just tells a, a really powerful story and I, I thought it worked really, really well in favor of the film. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, uh, was there any other thoughts you had on how they did portrayed the wrestling? Um, I just think it's really hard. Like I, I was thinking about like showing how hard it is in movies to depict the creation of another art form. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, watch like, uh, movies about jazz musicians or painters, you know, it's like, it's really hard to just capture an art form within another art form. And, yeah. and, and, and what showing what, up is, is no, no, that we just tied the iron claw to showing up. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, yeah, uh, recommend. but carry on, please. But, but like, uh, <laughs> I said same um, yeah. It, and, and so I think it's really hard. And, and especially with these larger than life characters, there's, there's a promo at the end by Ric Flair that, that is a very climactic scene in the movie. And that's the uncanny Valley thing where I thought the actor did a great job of embodying the swagger and the personality of this character and stuff. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, but you're no Ric Flair. I know that's, you know? I was actually, but it's well, also yeah. like, but that's because he's Ric but Flair. Flair. Well, you know, it's yeah. like, you can't, you can't have Ed Harris play. Um, yeah. Who did he play? Uh, the drop, the, uh, I just went black. Pollock. The drip pit, Pollock. Mm-hmm. Um, and be like, but it's like, yeah, he's, yeah. he's not going to, there's only Pollock, one Rick. You know. There's one Rick Flair. That's right. Yeah. He is a singular yeah. uh, entity. entity. <laughs> he's not an actor. He's just Rick Flair, and all the problems that come with that. Yeah, um, yeah. it's like Elvis impersonators. It's like, well, yeah, yes, you can be really yes, good at it, exactly but there's still it. only one Elvis. I think that's a great yeah. analogy for sure. That's, that's a that's a perfect analogy, actually. Yeah. 
Uh, speaking the of which, Priscilla, I, so I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So I all the indie films, and I, I will say I, I did think the Ric Flair impersonator. He's not Ric Flair, but he did the, the he emotion, it, the though. emotional, mm-hmm. and how the 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 score and the way they cut and did the zooms on yeah. his that was a plus and, plus. And within yeah. the and with and going back to what Laurent said about how well they explained the business aspect of mm-hmm. of like you know when you do well at your job you get a promotion. There are aspects of this job that people do better than others, and when they do better at it, they get rewarded. And Ric Flair, in that promo, it works in the kayfabe world of the match, but also, like, that's one of the things I love about it is, like, he's calling you out. Can you be a bigger star than me on this platform? Because I'm the biggest star in the world, and and unless you come off as a bigger star than me, you're not going to get this opportunity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's that's what the whole thing was about with Fritz was never that. Yeah. Is is David that? No. Is Kevin that? No, you know. And yeah. and that pressure of performing at a high level when the moment when it's live and there's no net and can you deliver? Yeah. And uh that, you know, that just hangs over the whole movie. And it and it does it in a way that um I think Tar does it a little bit of like when you show people who are trying to be the best in the world at what they do. Yeah. I love things like that. And and the, the, I feel like it really does that aspect of it really well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Wholeheartedly agreed on, on all those points. Uh, well, we have quite a bit to talk about uh, in spoilers, but before we get there, let's go ahead and give our letter grade uh, review for the Iron Claw. LaRon Chapman, I'll start with you. I'm giving this a B. I feel like this is a, a, a really solid film with with some yeah with some structural issues in terms of a story as terms of a story i think what would have benefited from this is if it was just a tone poem mm-hmm. instead of it because the thing is is it tries to be a biopic also yeah. yeah and and when they try to merge those things it just doesn't it doesn't clash well um i would have liked that maybe like a pablo loran aspect of it where it's like it's about this character or this subject or this world and we're going to capture the essence of it without getting too specific with all of the details on the timeline like be more impressionistic yeah. more impressionistic maybe and just deal with the 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 physicality of the of the mm-hmm. performance that would have been interesting mm-hmm. um because i don't think it works as both that and being a biopic yeah. but that being said the performances are really strong and the aspects of it that do really work work really well so i think it's a solid b movie you know, so yeah. All right, B. Alexandra Bohannon. Um, I think I would probably. Oh gosh, I I really deeply enjoyed this movie. I liked it. I am gonna go watch it with a friend who's. I don't know if she's ever seen any wrestling before, but she loves A twenty four. So I want to be a guide to her and <laughs> bringing these two yes, communities yes, together. Yes, exactly. Um, I. Oh gosh, it's really tough. I would probably give it. Uh, I'd probably give it four stars, but I would probably still put it in like a B, a B category for sure. I think if we had had a more, um, more div- like not divisive, I think if we had fully just embraced like Laurent was saying, just like really went for this is a piece about wrestling, and and then at that point you start asking, it's like okay, if we're gonna. St- stop following the Von Eric so much. Why not just make it a fully original film at this yeah. caliber? Cause uh, Durkin is such a wrestling dork. Like he really is a huge nerd. I didn't know that he is. It, yeah. So there's been some really interesting interviews oh, okay. about him watching stuff as a kid and oh, okay. his relate, his 
watching the Von Erics like a little bit. He sounds kind of similar and you like mm-hmm. catching the tail end of them and stuff like that. So why not just make your own story and then you're not tied to this fact that yeah. you're having to omit this brother because his storyline's too similar mm-hmm. and it makes you ask a lot of those questions. But um, mm-hmm. there's so much of this film that I do deeply, deeply love. So All right. So also a B. I, yeah, I would say a really, really... Maybe a B plus. Yeah, it's more like a B plus, I would say. B plus. Sure. All right, Kevin? Um, probably in the same. I think a B. I think if I were recommending it to anyone, um, I would probably say it's a really solid B movie. It'll probably do like three and a half stars in my letterbox. Like, because um, I feel like it's just short of greatness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and there's just enough greatness in it to show you how much yeah. greatness there could have been. Right. Yeah. Yes. I would have been... I would honestly be interested to know if there's like a three hour cut out there because I would watch the crap out of it. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Hands Um, down. For wrestling fans, if someone were coming in as a wrestling fan saying, should I watch this movie? I would say it is a must see um, because it, it just shows attention detail. Uh, It makes total sense that he's, he's like a wrestling nerd uh, because I think only a wrestling nerd could have, (laughs) could have made that unless they had like, you know, the Dave of Quillen of a Dave Filoni, yeah, <laughs> like I, I'm not the nerd, but I've got the nerd on staff, yes, and he's yeah. probably, you know, um, yeah, the same. Just the, the 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 respect that it shows the story, um, even if it yeah. made some choices I wish it hadn't, um, and it, it it just it brushes at greatness. Yeah, but, uh, it doesn't get there. Um, but yeah, solid B. Solid B. I, I'm also gonna go B. So I think we're all on the same page. I, 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 I love it. You say it has greatness in it. There are a lot of like the peaks of this movie are very high. Yeah. Ironically, uh, much like the Von Erichs. <laughs> it's it's kind of like your world so championship caliber, but you're not gonna just, get there. You're not yeah, gonna right. quite get there. You fall into commentary. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. No, I think it's, uh, it's a movie that has greatness in it. The peaks are very high. I really am very invested in that family story, and it's tough because. I hear what you're saying about making it an original story, but I yeah. also think part of what gives it the emotionality is the fact that it's a real story. And here's my other thing is I think it make this makes it the the fact that it's a true story and it for better or for worse, it is sort of a sports biopic. Yeah. One of the benefits is I could say I'm not going to do this, but see theoretically, uh maybe not mom and dad. Sister who yeah. has heard of wrestling but has never watched. Yeah. I have this great film I saw. It's mm-hmm. like a sports biopic about a wrestling family and kind of showcases well, isn't it all fake? Well, yeah. here's this great story that you should check out. Right. Um, you know, I don't think it makes it a great movie, but it does make the accessibility to it yeah. to a non-wrestling or even kind of casual moviegoer yeah. much yeah. higher, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's again trade-offs, right? Because yeah. right. I do think it's I think it's a it's a stronger benefit that this is based on a true story than not. It just I can see that. Yeah, they can't. They couldn't quite find the right tones mm-hmm. to yeah. merge here. Yeah, there is That's a great cool. wrestling movie to be made. Yes. And, yeah. And this one gives you a good hint at it. Yes. And uh, again, the things that work, uh, the family chemistry, I just think was yeah. really really outstanding. Uh, all right, what else would we recommend to our listeners who are interested in the Iron Claw movie, television show, novel, music, video game, and what have you? Back around the table, table, Kevin. What you got for our listeners? Um, I think anyone who's interested in this kind of story, there's a series called Dark Side of the Ring. I think we talked about it before we before we went on air. Uh, there's an episode about uh, the Von Erichs that is probably a really huge text for this mm. particular thing because it, it it follows the same thing where it really follows Kevin's journey. Um, but there's all kinds of stuff. Bruiser Brody, who's a small character in the movie, has his own episode. Randy Macho Man Savage has an episode. Pretty much any awful story you've ever heard about wrestling gets mm-hmm. a gets a very interesting uh, telling in that series. Um, 
it toes the line between exploitive and 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 respectful. It's a you know it's it, it's very intrigue based. It's dark side of the ring for a reason. But anyone who's interested in that, I think, would do that. There's a three hour. If you really want to deep do a deep dive into the Von Erichs, um, there's like a th- close to three hour documentary um, that was made in 2005 that is not very well made at all. It's really amateur documentary filmmaking called Heroes of World Class. You can find it on YouTube. It's not available anywhere. Uh, for purchase because all the rights and everything. But it talks to all the real people who were there when it happened. They're pretty, I would say they're fairly honest about what was happening. You get to meet a lot of the characters that weren't in the movie, like the guy, the booker, the guy who wrote all those storylines yeah. is in the movie and he's not in the Iron Claw. And then, um, yeah, there's a show called Heels. I don't know if any of you talked mm-hmm. about that. That's a wrestling show that is the fictional version. And when you watch it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is a straight up Von Eric. Thing <laughs> dynamic going, but uh, Stephen Amell is a, a actor turned wrestler, kind of uh, from Arrow fame and people who were into Arrow. Nice. Um, he he has wrestled. He has a huge love for wrestling, and he and it's it's his baby. This show, if people are interested in that world, that's some to check out. All right, great list of recommendations for folks who want to learn more about the uh, the family and wrestling. Alexandra Bohannon. Um, so I kind of took a similar approach, uh, Dark Side of the Ring, that's episode four, season one. Um, you can, I guess it's a vice doc and you should be able to get that on Hulu. Uh, there's an ESPN micro doc that if you want a taster, like it's 15 to 16 minutes, uh, I actually found a copy of it on, uh, YouTube, but I think you can also, uh, find it for free places online if you're into that sort of thing. So it's called <laughs> wrestling the curse. Yeah. That it's uh, on ESPN plus for people yeah. who have that service as well. Um, there's also. So the John Oliver WWE episode adds oh, yeah. yep. really good mm-hmm. um, in terms of informing how these uh, carny like tactics are still present in yep. the modern day wrestling organizations. Um, there's also um, there's a podcast if you're interested in podcasts. There's Behind the Bastards. This is, comes from a recommendation from uh, Matt, my friend. Uh, Behind the Bastards. There's an there's a multi part series on Vince McMahon, who uh, is the famous chairman of the WWF now E. Uh, and then if you want a complete tonal shift of like of okay, let's see if we can chart the sports biopic it's based on a true story uh a young uh, up-and-coming star with a tough parent um and then a lot of horrible things occur uh i tanya a friend of mine asked oh, me yeah. if the tone of i tanya was similar to this movie and i was like not at all but that would make a very interesting double feature craig wow. gillespie directed this movie <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that would be it'd be very very interesting double feature to see to see that's that great approach. i love that that's a great swing in the other direction yes oh i also found this um the von Eriks. they were given a special screening of this film um and he, apparently kevin von Erich is on record saying he deserves he meaning uh Zach Zac Efron deserves an Academy Award for his portrayal. So I think the Von Eriks are are pro. Yeah. Pro. 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 Yeah. Pro. 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 <laughs> yeah. If Zach Efron played me, I want him to have the Oscar too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. He did. Okay. But okay. Okay. Listen. But also, I will say the guy did put on an, an immense amount of weight. And he does give a pretty good oh, performance. Oh, he put everything he had into yeah. it. Yeah. 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 That final yeah. scene. That's Oof. all I would say. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> even speaking uh Laurent Chapman what you got well I of course have to mention the 2000 classic ready to rumble with David Arquette no, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I know I had to say that I wrote that down World um, David Arquette. 
a world champion. That's true. He is a, mm-hmm. he is a wrestling fan. He has a documentary about it too. Um, uh, Foxcatcher and the wrestler mm-hmm. come to mind as two like as as cinematic nods to how tonally and visually and aesthetically this film kind of comes off. Um, the structure I think is different, but um, I got a similar vibe from it and from just from a a completely um visual standpoint um but also dealing with the immense physicality of this and and the emotional and physical toll it takes on the characters in both of those films and the familial tragedies and the you know that both of these characters kind of face at some various points in the story so i found some similarities there with those two movies yeah, great recommends. I was gonna. It, the wrestler has to be said at yeah, least yeah, once. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Mickey Rourke, and played this by the, an actual previous wrestler. champion of greatest wrestling movie ever. Probably. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, I'm gonna go with total sh- different direction than all of you all uh, away from wrestling. You guys take all the best ones. Bad dad or manipulative dad ruining kids' lives uh, track. <laughs> okay. Uh, so well, three this... three HBO shows. Succession just yeah, wrapped up. Yeah, and I can see that. <laughs> great. So choice. much. A, a guy who's so focused on legacy and just yes. like just putting so much pressure on his kids. And which one of you is going to be the one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah like, that's mm-hmm. so good. Great yeah. pick. Um, righteous gemstones. Less mean spirited, but John Goodman. More kayfabe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, and then also Game of Thrones, Tywin Lannister yeah, yeah. really puts his kids through the ringer just yeah. to, to kind of carry the legacy forward, you know, the family mm-hmm. legacy sort of thing. And so I thought yeah. that was uh, a lot of overlap in, in between that. Good themes. Different sh- shift of gears. A movie about, uh, or actually a trilogy of movies about a boxer who takes his father's legacy and tries to make it his own. Uh, inspired by his dad and less controlled by him, Creed. Yes, mm. one of the greatest trilogies ever. I'm saying it right now. One of the greatest trilogies the of the Creed last movies. twenty twenty yeah. years. Yeah, Creed is my favorite Rocky movie. It's no Creed one. Yeah, Creed I'm, one. I agree. Amazing. I agree. And uh, Creed three. Whenever you see Jonathan Majors get yeah. the crap beat out of him, yeah. that, that conversation just keeps evolving. Yeah, so yeah. It, but, but I don't know what to believe. It was. Uh, <laughs> it's it's not going to be a trilogy for long because they are making a fourth one, I guess. But I, I was like. When they ended that third one, I was like, this is, they nailed this it. Is, three, yeah. three acts, structure, I, I, you follow the arc, it's great. Anyway, check out all three of them. I believe they're all on Amazon, at least the I third one so, is. Yeah. There's one I just thought of that's a random, um, The Virgin Suicides. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. That, I, it just came to me where you were talking of like, I've been trying to think of these movies of like, what captures that just sense of dread of this mm-hmm. is happening and I don't know why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that. That Sophia Coppola, it made me want to see Sophia Coppola's wrestling movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. I would watch it. Yeah. Oh, also, man. Benny Safdie's wrestling yeah. movie. I think that's what I called it when I stepped out of the theater. It was like the wrestler suicides. That's this, <laughs> what this could have been. That's what it reminds me of. Just, yeah. just, just gosh. Well, listeners, there you have it. Those are our spoiler-free thoughts on the Iron Claw. Uh, we're going to go ahead and shift to our spoiler discussion starting now. So, if you don't want to be spoiled on the movie, tune out now. Three minutes in the cage. With Bonesaw McGraw, the sum of $3,000 will be paid to. What's your name, kid? The Human Spider. The Human Spider, that's it? That's the best you got? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. A few different areas I want to hit on here. Uh, first up, uh, the Iron Claw of Bad Dads, uh, you know, as I mentioned <laughs> in my ultimate media recommendation. But the film's title really works on a lot of different levels, I thought. Not only is this Fritz's signature wrestling move, but it also sort of underscores the pressures that he's putting on his kids uh, for their whole lives at the film. And there's even a really nice, I think, is it the youngest brother? He's actually talking, showing him how to do it. And he's like, no, you got to put more pressure. Yeah. And it really felt uh, kind of... Uh, 
thematically tied to what is happening to this family. He is, his grasp is killing them yeah. mm-hmm. uh, slowly but surely. Uh, so I just wanted to open up to the table. I mean, how do you think this film explores the impacts of familiar trauma, both on the psychology of the individual, but also as a larger unit, because they all believe there's a freaking curse on them by the end of the yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's that, that part of it is handled very well. I feel like, um, you pity all of them because this has become their entire identity. You know what I mean? Like he says, I don't want anything else. I mean, you know, when with Lily James in the beginning, like this is what I want. This is this is how I see my life, you know. And to have to orbit around that and to have to always be perfect and to have to always kind of kind of reach a certain level of excellence that is that is constantly shifting and evolving and never quite enough, you know, for all of them. You can see it. Even when one of them actually wins the, you know, mm-hmm. he's like, I can't come down yeah. from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, it, and it, that actually, like, even it's like even succeeding isn't satisfying for them. Because what do I do now? This was my whole identity. You know what I mean? Like, so I think that it, it definitely, you know, um, is a really good um, depiction of how, this father's, you know, um, a kind of oppressive reign over them had colored all of their lives really for the worst, mm-hmm. you know. So they couldn't be themselves. They had to be one unit of excellence for to see his vision through, you know, kind of come to fruition. So, Well, as the movie presents it, I mean, they all have their own individual identities, but the way the movie presents it as a unit, they, they all have a singular goal. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is why we live. This mm-hmm. is why we breathe is to get this mm-hmm. belt, to get mm-hmm. this title. Yeah. And uh, it just, it, it's so sad when you see like they don't really have a lot going on outside Side of that. Of that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about you, uh, Kevin? What do you think about how the film handles, uh, you know, this trauma on the family? Um, I, I'm trying to decide how I feel about how they treated Fritz in terms of um, he, he's not someone if you listen to interviews or, or any of those documentaries we talked about, like the way Kevin talks about Fritz, there's, I was watching that YouTube documentary last night and there's a scene in it where Fritz, I mean, where Kevin is talking about like when his dad was dying of cancer, he died, he died uh, only like two months after he was diagnosed, you know? So like he, he declined rather quickly and he was talking about like, he was really in pain and he would, he would lash out aggressively, like emotionally with people. And he said, there was a point where he was sitting there talking to his dad and, Fritz is telling him, you know, if you'd need guts, you would have killed yourself too. Mm. And, and, and wow. in the same moment, this is Kevin Von Erich saying this and at the same moment, he's like, but I know he loved me. And mm. so it's like to, mm-hmm. you know, this guy's 60 something now reflecting on this. And there's, it's hard for me to not think of Fritz as a monster, yeah. even though there's no allegations of like physical abuse or, or the kind of abuse you would suspect in this kind of family. You know, sure. I, I was talking to a friend this morning. He was asking me about like, what was the deal with the Von Erics? And I was like, imagine like, imagine like the story of the Jackson five. Yeah. If Michael died right before he made thriller mm-hmm. and then Joe Jackson was saying, which one of you is going to be Michael, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, but that was like, you know, there's like history of abuse and things like that. And he was always just, there's no, there are no stories that have come out of Fritz being anything more than like a domineering the psychological, know, the psychological abuse of that kind of pressure. Um, but at the same time, I feel like the movie kind of let him off easy. I thought so and, too. And in some ways yeah. I give it credit for showing grace and to, to these characters, you know, Fritz's final moment in the film is, you know, he comes home and Doris is painting cause she's sort of reclaiming like, this is something I love that is outside of this. 
And he just sort of sits and just regards her, you know, and, and it kind of lets him off the hook in a way, in a way that it's kind of like, no, I need, I needed to see Fritz die. You know, <laughs> you know what? like that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's interesting that you say too, that I, I had not heard that interview. That's yeah. pretty bold. That just, it yeah. kind of says he, a lot he, he, he about does, him. Uh, to, you know? be, to be fair in the context, he's describing it as that's how far gone he was from the pain and the cancer that he was lashing out and saying these horrible things. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't like, oh, I grew up and this is the kind of stuff I heard. But I wouldn't doubt it if he heard that when he was, you know. Well, but I mean, but the the movie does not present him in a in any at any point does he take any ownership for any no. of the th- no. bad things. No, that no like literally. It, it, so so the fact that that statement kind of just sort of validates yeah. that he probably until he died believed that it, none of it was his fault. Right. Oh, absolutely. He yeah. doesn't even allow his sons to grieve. No. Yeah. Right. He tells him like, not to cry. He tells him not to cry at the funeral. Yeah. And yeah. that's one of those things. It's just like. They can't yeah, yeah. exactly. So just that, it's full harness of their yeah. essence. And, and that is one of the things that like at the end that I'm like, oh, they just totally lean it like that last scene with the with the boys, Ross and Marshall is like a little on the nose. Yeah. Um some of the dialogue is pulled from some of these interviews about him saying, I used to be I used to have five brothers and now I'm not a brother at all. Mm. Like that's mm. something he really said uh in an interview. And and I think there's even something about his kids telling him, We'll be your brothers, you know. So it's like that's that's all sort of real, but it felt very on the nose in the moment. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, but that's what this movie's about. It's like, I mean, I still had me crying like yeah. a baby though. Yeah. I mean, is there know? like, it's okay to cry. We cry all the time. Yeah. And it's a simple thing that he was never allowed to have his whole life. You know, um, I, it, not a critique of his performance, but I, I, I totally would have gone there if he had just completely broken in that moment yeah. and just sobbed with his children. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I think that would have been an incredible moment. In the yeah. Movie. I, that was one of the things emotionally. I like that last scene a lot, but then intellectually, I feel a little bit. It just the children. It's really the the fact that the boys say it's okay to cry. I think that feels a little anachronistic yeah. and a little. The whole movie does a great. I mean, great job is a subjective thing, but it does a. It does not pass judgment on anybody in this movie. It doesn't pass yeah, judgment on fair. the people yeah. that commit suicide, mm-hmm. which is good because like that's obviously um not something we do in hopefully in a modern day society we but it doesn't pass judgment on on fritz and he or the mom and a lot of complicated people and so i just it just that felt like the one area where it felt like someone was coming in to say it's like this is my thing yeah. because i um, boys like they would have in re- in that reality would no have have no opportunity to learn that. So it's okay that sure. it happened. I like it. I really like it emotionally. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. I cried like a baby as well. Mm-hmm. So but it feels written. It feels written, written to, it, to it, us. Yes, it, it felt written, written to us. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that was one one thing. Um. And yeah, I mean, there's just it's interesting. It's not necessarily relevant to the movie, but it is interesting. Uh, as a friend of mine, Matt was pointing out to me that Fritz von Erich, he came to rise like his heel character. He was playing a goose stepping Nazi German. Yes, like he was literally a Nazi. He was literally playing a Nazi. Mm-hmm. And at the time of his rise in wrestling, um, you know, before the big surge in the 90s and 2000s where it was revealed that everyone kind of took the mask off. And it's like, we know this isn't, you know, real, but we're going to play this character and, you know, whatever. People were so strict about the roles they were playing and the kayfabe reality that they lived in is that everyone in town thought he was a Nazi. Like he yeah. was acting like a Nazi in public. Yeah. 
that's like just how far it was it's going. It's prestige. It's uh, it, his it's life is the performance. Hundred <laughs> yeah, percent. Like that's yeah. how people t- far uh, the wrestlers and the performance artists take their their roles. And a lot of I mean, there's still wrestlers that commit that hard even now, but not to the degree of yeah. like playing a Nazi and <laughs> in, no. in a post war. There's America. hardly any Nazis in wrestling now. <laughs> <laughs> hardly. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think it's. It does. I do feel I'm I'm in a weird spot where I'm thankful that the film text itself did not say this man's bad, you know, and mm. something really overt like that. But then at the same time, it's like this. I do feel like he did get off. It, yeah. it did, there was like. But also he well, was bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's I mean just, literally it's complicated. The, the first scene at the table at the beginning, he's like talking about you're my favorite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or Carrie's my favorite. Uh, who's going to, you know, but it's a competition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and the football scene. The order can always change. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah the, the, football the, the football scene where it's like so clearly like this vying for dad hierarchy. You know, I have no siblings. So I, and I think all yeah. of you have siblings. So I'm sure that that. There's a, like a subtlety of that played out in maybe most family dynamics, but that not to that level where the parents are instigating it on right, purpose. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, that succession comparison is so that spot is on. so good. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I, I just thought it was. I, I do appreciate that they. I, it's tough. I, I wish the movie. I kind of wish the movie had made a stronger statement about Fritz. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, to your point though them not passing judgment allows us to kind of <laughs> interpret this as like, yeah. oh, this is toxic behavior. The movie yeah. doesn't need to tell us because we can already see it right. for ourselves. 100%. Yeah. But yeah. what I found more also really interesting to kind of tie into the family trauma is that or that the boys didn't really have anywhere to go to to have healthy processing of their of what was happening to them in the moment. Because even the mom is particularly I mean, we say a lot, we give a lot of yeah. Flack to, I don't know how accurate that is though, but um, we give a lot of uh, flack to the father, but the mother too, just very cold and and yeah. and, and yeah. inaccessible. Um, when he you tries too, to come and say, you something. work it out. It's between you guys. Yeah, it's that's between what you your guys. brothers are for. That's yeah. I think right. that's something that she says, and yeah. and even just the way she deals with it too is just yeah. kind of like, like she won't even allow herself to grieve sometimes. Yeah. So she mm-hmm. until the weight of the grief is so heavy that she just can't. The not, scene, not react. the scene that I keep thinking about with her is, um, uh, I believe it's Carrie's funeral, and she has the dress laid out on the bed, and she yeah. can't put it, and on. she can't put it on. And why? The reason she says she can't put it on is because everyone will know I'm wearing the same dress. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and so on one level, it's like this vanity thing, but this other thing of like I cannot wrap my. She's like I cannot process the fact that I've lost two sons, mm-hmm. that I've had to do this twice, and but she can't bring herself to say that's what's really bothering me. Mm-hmm. So there's right. like some really cool levels going on, yeah, on how they did it, and so it's this weird thing of like, but at the same time I want a more conventional resolution sure. yeah. to it. You know, is that I want I want Fritz to be told off, you know, and I yeah. want I want Fritz to be like to see the emptiness of this life. Yeah, you know? I mean, it could be argued that. Because, you know, legacy families are so common in wrestling. Um, yeah, yeah. The fact that um, Kevin actually does sell the sell the operation because you have operations yeah. like the WWE where, yeah. yeah, I mean, Vince has got his iron claw on that. Right, and right. then his kids will probably ne- never sell because, it's, you know, mm. it's in their blood despite all that trauma. Um, it is interesting that he was able to dis- discern this, like, this is not good for me in my life, yeah. in my family, that I need right. to... 
Well, and it was funny that his dad and the you know Fritz in the movie was basically like, if you sell that, you this is the last time you'll ever walk those doors or whatever. And right. you know, again, just no remorse for like, yeah. Do you not see the this thing? This th- I mean, this is mm-hmm. what has caused so much yeah. pain for it's all no of accountability. Yeah. Just can't, yeah. can't and making no bones about the fact that he's literally living vicariously through them. Oh, yeah. I could yeah. not get this, so you are going to. Yeah. And 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 when the first son dies, there is no. Like, oh, well, let's maybe this lifestyle is not good for you. It was, mm-hmm. it was none of that. It right. was, okay, he couldn't do it. Which one of you is going to do it? When, the, yeah. when Carrie finally wins at notice, he talks about me. Yeah. I've wanted this belt in yes. my house my entire life. Yes. You know, not, yes. he's not even really patting Carrie on the back in the yeah. moment. And yeah. Mike is that glimpse, you know, of like he's into music and he's going to parties and he's like seems to be a sensitive person. He's not that athletically gifted. And, they have to sneak out so that his band can play and they call it a uh, viola practice, you know, like they're yeah. like, he's playing in a four piece orchestra, but he's really playing in a band and <laughs> yeah. a kegger yeah. and, and they have to sneak out because he can't, he's not allowed to have this life outside of that. And there's this like kind of what if the, like, what if, if David had just lived and been yeah. and won that, cause he would have won the world title, uh, that year. Most, most historians believe, um, that, if he had had that, would Kevin have gotten out or would have Mike have gotten out because there wasn't a need to fill the hole, you know, mm-hmm. that it could have been like, Hey, these three are making it, you know, Mike and Chris, you're kind of free from the curse, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, well, I want to shift gears here and talk a little bit more about the adapting the history. We've, we've touched about uh, on this quite a bit in our spoiler free review, but I, I want to get a little more detailed here because doing a faithful biopic covering such a long period of time, this is really tough. And this is a, this is an, any biopic. And there's, there's been a lot of them though. You have the ones like that show you the entire, someone's entire life, uh, like uh, walk the line or something like that. But then yeah. you also have things like Lincoln, where it's a very specific yeah. um, chapter of that individual's life. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like with, with uh, the Iron Claw, they kind of try to do both. Uh, both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, w- I just want to dive into like the benefits and trade-offs they make for that. Because in this t- case, we already talked about, there was an entire Von Eric brother that was removed yep. from the story to keep the runtime shorter. Uh, and, you know, looking at it as a, you know, as a person who has, has reviewed scripts, I can imagine a couple of them died very similarly. Yeah, it's like, right. Oh, he, he shot himself on the, the, on the, on land. the, on the yeah. land. It's like, eh, you know, so, okay, that's repetitious. Let's, yeah. you know, truncate these characters. But I want to dig into that because just this year, uh, we have Oppenheimer mm-hmm. and Christopher Nolan has a ginormous cast Notoriously, even has big names getting like three lines. Why? Because he insisted on not doing any composite characters because he felt it was that important to honor history. So I just want to dig into and get you all's perspective on comparing and contrasting what are the benefits and trade-offs uh, to that. So how does the Iron Claw's approach to adapting the true story compared to you know something like Oppenheimer? What is maybe something we get from the Iron Claw that Oppenheimer doesn't have to offer? Um, and, uh, Laurent, I'll start with you. Well, one thing I'll say is I, am there are, there are good biopics. They do exist. And I feel like, um, but it's just like every year we get some middle tier ones or the same kind of, you know, that hit all the familiar beats. And I feel like, um, the best biopics are the ones that do focus on one aspect of, of a subject mm-hmm. and one at one period of time in a subject's life. Because I really do think that when you do from the from the womb to the tomb, you know what I mean. The approach, their first walk, it's like, 
all of that's not necessarily interest. I mean, interesting or necessary to encapsulate what you want to say with your movie. You know what I mean? Because it's, if it's just about getting the facts, then read read a memoir, read a book, yeah. see a documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A narrative is trying to, you know what I mean, access that human, that person, and that like you know. And so I always find like if you just focus on a brief part of their life. And I feel like it says so much more about that person. I feel like I learned so much more about that person because you're not burdened and shouldering all of this. Like, I got to include this detail and this fact and this thing. Um, so I feel like, you know, like, again, I think the Iron Claw is a great example of showing you, like, this universe and this world for people who are not, you know, um, um, steeped in it. Um but the episodic nature of it doesn't really quite work because it, it wants to do two things and yeah. it can't do both. Maybe it would be a good episodic thing if that was all that it was, but then it would be a different movie and we'd be talking about different things, I feel like. So yeah. um, I think Oppenheimer does a great job and I don't know, I can't really see if if that, if is Oppenheimer, do you, do you feel like goes from beginning to end or is it just focusing on this one this one thing because it kind of feels like it is spanning a, a certain amount of time well but... they, they cherry pick moments from his past that underscore the the right. time period that they're covering and they're covering two major time periods the first one is the building of the atomic bomb mm-hmm. the trinity test and then they're jumping to when he was revoked uh, his security clearance was revoked right. or the two major chapters like there's two different ones two they're defining covering. periods two, two yeah. defining periods mm-hmm. and, and there's a lot of stuff that comes before that but it's really just cherry picking the, the key moments that's that true set those up. So they're more judicious with how they how they drop these things in, and so I think that that's again a better approach because then otherwise it does just feel like you put this in because you felt like you needed to put it in there, and so um, yeah. So I mean, I feel like in general, I think Oppen- how it compares, I think that yeah, I think that Oppenheimer does a better job of encapsulating this period of time and this character's life. Do you think there's anything that the Iron Claw does well that you know the Oppenheimer approach uh, was unable to achieve? It definitely gets the emotional beat. I mean, not that there isn't anything, because I think Emily Blunt is fantastic in it. But definitely, I feel like I know less about their marriage yeah. than than I, you know what I mean, than maybe. I, Zac Efron's wife, I have a better sense of the marriage, his <laughs> sure. marriage in this movie yeah. than I did in Oppenheimer. Her yeah. character is severely truncated in, in service yeah. of the other story they're telling. And so I guess there are pros and cons there. Yeah, because the familial stuff works better here, probably, for sure. And again, if you don't, don't force it. If you don't think they're better, if you think I'm totally wrong, I'm just, I'm just curious. That's an interesting question. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I think that there's also something uh, that um, a friend of mine also pointed out to me that so much of wrestling history is an oral history in the way that it's Mm. documented and captured. And then with with Oppenheimer, we have the vol. We have this volume of yeah. information, congressional records, congressional <laughs> records. You know, like we actually have um, the actual biography that was written about him. That that was like a ref- a major reference point for the adaptation. So mm-hmm. with this, a wrestling history can be really challenging because so much of it was oral, so much of it is handed down, and and then you know one person starts changing details, and then mm-hmm. they tell that story, and then everyone else changes a detail subsequently, which is right. There's like kind of like this. I, I don't know. I've always heard it as a kind of a joke about wrestler biographies because yeah. it's like how much of this is actually their it's a very tall tale. Yes, it, yes, yeah. it is kind of. I mean, the earliest wrestlers kind of have this carny spirit to them, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, telling these yarns and tall tales. Um, so I think maybe there might be some issue of that, not necessarily plaguing in terms of like the 
the facts, but it is kind of trying to marry these two approaches of like, this is a realm that does not necessarily deal with hard facts and years and dates and all of this stuff. And we're trying to mirror, stick all of that on top of, you know, these like real emotions in the kind of the heart of it. And maybe those two approaches considering the subject matter are too differing to successfully cohese. Um, it's just, it is an interesting, um, idea. I love the, your commentary about the defining periods. Cause I think that would have helped mm -hmm. this. If we're really going to tell this story and we're glued, we're tied to it being a biopic, um, really getting clear as to if we're going to consider the whole family, we're doing a biopic on yeah. the whole family, or are we just going to pick, mm -hmm. uh, we're just going to pick Kevin cause yeah. There might have been that might have been some of the problem is like mm -hmm. we're trying to do everybody and yeah. then like obviously everybody a moment. Yeah. yeah. You know, here's another interesting approach to a biopic I'll throw out there was the uh Steve Jobs that was directed by Danny Boyle starring Michael Fassbender. That one took three keynotes of uh, product launch keynotes um at Apple, but you were able to capture yeah. I mean, obviously it was an Aaron Sorkin script, so there's that yeah. going for it. What makes <laughs> it Sorkin a little, yeah, that, that Sorkin, that, but I mean, it was an interesting in that, you know, imagine trying to apply that there's, they, they yeah. tell the story built around three key wrestling matches in the family somehow or something like that. Could have That been would have been a really interesting way to do it. I, I, yeah, there's a, I would love to go back and try to reconstruct this, you know, of mm -hmm. saying like, like pick a brother Mm -hmm. And have, you know, and and I think a few people talked about like, oh, this would make a great eight part miniseries or this would make, you know, something like that. And if like you have like, here's the Fritz story. Here's the Kevin story. Here's the David story. Here's the Carrie story. Here's the Mike story. And even here's the Chris story, maybe, um, you know, that would have been a really interesting mm -hmm. play. I think I think not to try to draw a comparison between these two, but like Killers of the Flower Moon, I feel like one of the things that. um uh, held it back in some ways was the fact that it's like Leonardo DiCaprio is the star and the anchor and the producer of this movie. So he's going to be the center of the film. Yeah. And Zach Efron is, you know, Sean Durkin probably might've been able to get this movie made, but Zach Efron is who got it, you know, sure. was attached to it to create it. And so there, and therefore, and, and traditionally the story, because Kevin's the only living one, he is sort of the, the audience avatar through the thing. And so I think, Mm -hmm. It's really interesting to think about how choosing to have this be from Kevin's perspective both limited it um, and also made it clearer in a way, you know, that it's very subjective. Yeah. Um, because those, you know, with the with Oppenheimer, you know, the 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 atomic bomb side is very much through his perspective in a way. And the congressional side is really much through, um, I forgot his name, but the Robert Downey Jr. character yeah. mm -hmm. is very much from his perspective. Mm -hmm. And it would have been really interesting to see, like, if we if we really planted ourselves in the perspective of different people, yeah, what would that have felt like? Because I feel like they had these glimpses of, like, and here's Carrie. Here's the biggest star right now. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Jeremy Allen White. Is that yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, that's one of those names I always mess up. Um He's kind of an it actor right now. Yeah. yeah. And I think I was surprised that he wasn't, he didn't have as much oh, heavy lifting. Do, yeah, same. Yeah. I felt, especially after like that, that reveal of the amputation having not known the story, that was, I was amazing. crazy. That was yeah, nuts. That was, that was really skillfully done. Cause he's like, yeah. oh, you see something. He was like, oh, he's got a broken. Oh, no. No, no. Um, yeah. So I, I felt like he really didn't 
there, there was an emotional core missing from his character, There's unfortunately. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't know if it's him so much as how the characters are written. 100%. Yeah, because yeah. well, yeah, he was doing the, a great job on the, the scope. performance. Again, I think this is where we yeah. come to the scope problem. Mm-hmm. The limitations. I, of the, yeah. I feel like the un- the family unit is so well developed. Again, you're getting it from one singular perspective, yeah. largely. But on and the individuals, it was really hard to get a sense for yeah. what yeah. their inner selves were like outside of because there just wasn't enough time to focus on each one in that yeah. sense, and that's why they, yeah, it, it, see, by so making it episodic like that, then it kind of mm-hmm. undercuts each one even less as you go down and down and down. Yeah, so. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's definitely a drawback. I mean, listen, op- frankly, Christopher Nolan hates the people are calling Oppenheimer a biopic. By the way, uh, what does he think <laughs> what of is it? it? Uh, a, a drama, historical a historical drama. drama. He finds the term right. biopic <laughs> to be limiting. It's uh, okay. about okay. a dude's life over a certain period. Yeah. Okay, probably because biopics get a bad rap. That's yeah. probably yeah. why. Yeah. That's I mean, probably like why. Saying but his is like almost primed to win the Oscar this year, so you should calm down. I mean, do you guys think down, Christopher? Christopher Nolan, he's like, I'm Chris Nolan. I can say what I want. Right. I just made a rated R three hour long adult biopic that's about to cross a billion dollars. Right. Yeah. <laughs> don't call it a biopic. <laughs> uh, I mean, how do you guys feel like it was a, a pretty, res- in terms of adapting it, do you feel like they were respectful to the Von, uh, Von Eriks? Uh, was this a respectful way to do it? Even if you think narratively it wasn't perfect, yeah. do you feel like it, it, it would honor the family though and the characters in that way? Structurally, it doesn't work, but I think emotionally it does. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like it's it's definitely sensitive and empathetic towards what they went through. I don't. Yeah. I doesn't feel exploitative in that way. Definitely not. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, because I I knew that there was suicide at least once in the film, and that was one. You know, I I think I don't like depictions of that necessarily yeah. on screen, and, and I know a lot so of people. Careful. Don't as well, but it was not schlocky. It wasn't, um, you know. It's pretty tasteful. It's it was very. It wasn't glorified. It, yeah. yeah. Didn't have the stars born syndrome. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I actually looked up this Vulture article by Chris Lee. Um, so apparently, Sean Durkin had tried to do a biopic before over Janis Joplin. Um, and it was a really ill-fated project, and he said that he stopped um, because of the lessons he learned in the Janis Joplin biopic that he had stopped trying to get close to people that were close to Joplin. So he said, I got very close to a lot of people in Joplin's life, but when it came to showing them the script, they all had really strong reactions about their perspective, um, not being the only perspective in the movie. So it got very messy and it was sad. So he kept made a decision um, as a fan and someone who loved Kevin, the family to like distance himself from the actual Von Eriks. So, um, so whenever uh, they asked Kevin what his perspective was on the film. Um, uh, Kevin said he knew exactly what m- the movie he was making before he reached out. And he told uh, Durkin, there's a lot of trash talk out there. There's a lot of gossip. What I care about most is that, you know, um, you and the movie knows how much my brothers and I love each other and yeah. that we're on the same page about that. And so that's what, you know, Kevin yeah. said the heart was that the film was the love between yeah. the brothers. I think that came through a hundred percent, hundred percent. What, should we talk about the uh, the uh, heaven scene? 
Yeah, oh. we should talk about it. Okay, <laughs> this is the place to talk about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank I, you. I wasn't sure if we were gonna have time. I'm. I'm just gonna dive in and say what a big swing. Um. So there. Of course, we're referencing the scene where uh, after Carrie has killed himself, you see Kevin set his brother on the table, and you see that Carrie had, had a handwritten note about how he was in a better mm-hmm. place now. And as he set him down, you you see it cuts to Kevin running out of the house with both of his feet. That's the first number one. He had his foot, and I was like, oh. Did, um, yeah, I, you know, I'm already yeah. I'm already getting weepy. I got, he's got his foot back, yeah. you know, and then he, he gets on this little uh, in a canoe or a raft and he gets on the lake and goes find crosses over to meet his other brothers. And it was just uh, I felt like I was being manipulated and it really worked. And initially I was immediately in Alex, how you felt with the last scene where I was like, I don't like this. This is yeah. really icky. But if you contextualize it. In the way they bookend it, which yeah. is Kevin sort of mourning his the way they brother. present it cinematically, yeah. mm-hmm. it's, it's it's veering on cringe. But it's veering on cringe, but it, as a the the shot before it and the shot after it indicates that it's this is Kevin imagining right for yeah. sure his it's thing. Feeling. I would have liked that to have been clearer. Yes, because sure. when it first happened, I thought, oh no. Oh, and no. I brought up a Star's Born. I don't know how other people feel about it, but like. I think you have to be so careful with suicide, especially with like quote tragic characters to yeah. not justify, because I feel like the you, people who are in that play and I, and, and I want to be careful about how I say it because I've not experienced suicide with anyone that's super close to me that I love. So I, I haven't lived through that experience in the way so many people have, but um, I feel like when you show this as a valid way to resolve your problem or to somehow nobilize your struggles, mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's what the, happened in the Stars Born, um, yeah. where it's like, oh, Bradley Cooper's like almost heroic in the way that he finally released her from his pain, and now she's gonna be a bigger star than ever now that he's gone and all that, you know. And I was really worried about that with this movie going in, and I thought they were doing it really well, and then Carrie is walking out without his feet or with a with with both feet, and I thought, oh no, yeah, okay, they're gonna they're they're gonna say that all these guys are in a better place, and. I would have liked them to have been more clear about that, but I think the way they did it, they handled it really well of like, how would he imagine this? He would mm-hmm. imagine David has his world title. He would imagine that Carrie has both his feet, that uh, Mike has his guitar and that little Jackie's with him. I mean, yeah. that got me. When he goes and he says, where's Jackie? And they show him and he introduces himself. He's like, I'm your brother. Like, even now that gets me a little like, that's, mm-hmm. yeah. Maybe. that is what you can imagine Carrie, Kevin wanted and needed to feel. Yeah, to get him through it. Mm-hmm. I, Maybe one more cut away. Yeah, like think, one more yeah, cut back to him, yeah. and then cut back. Yes, to, to make it clear. clear this is his point of view. Because yeah. the, that section is also a lot longer than. Yeah, it yeah, it's not just out. like a. It's not yeah. just oh, it's a shot of him it, crossing it, the Red River Sticks. Right. So, it's gonna yeah. be like right. what, <laughs> he, <laughs> rose, he rose to the deck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they have a whole conversation. Yeah, it's definitely more than a few beats, and I think because of the length, it does feel like oh, we're just now. Yeah. This is the the film's perspective on this, not this character's perspective. And I yeah. think y'all's suggestion that cutting back, I think that would have I think you're that right. would have exactly solved right. yep. solved a lot of that. Uh, yeah, called the run. Yeah, <laughs> yes. for real though. If you're Seriously. listening, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> One little editing trick. One little trick. Yeah, take five minutes. It's fine. Uh, but, but I'm glad you brought that up because it, there's like this. There's a couple of things. There's the, number one, there's obviously you got to be extremely careful how yeah. you talk about suicide. And then there's the added layer of the mani- uh, emotional manipulation. Yeah. And then there's the added layer of, of, is this film evangelizing to me? Like, you know what I mean? Right. And and they, I thought they did a good enough job that it works in the context. But yeah, I think, yeah, the one you nailed it. Just one beat. Just, just a little one, bit yeah. more. Yeah. Good call. 
okay, well, hey, we are about out of time, but I do want to acknowledge um, that professional wrestling as this film portrays it, uh, the most fatal sport or, or performance or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so according to a 2014 study from the University of Eastern Michigan, professional wrestlers are more likely to die prematurely from cardiovascular disease compared to the general population. And morbidly obese wrestlers are especially at risk. And in uh, 2021, 538's uh, Benjamin Morris concluded the mortality rate for professional wrestlers was significantly higher than that of athletes in any other sport by a considerable margin. If you go to the Wikipedia page about deaths and uh, premature deaths in professional wrestling, it is the most depressing thing I've looked at in a while. Cause it's, you scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. Just people who wrestled in world-class championship wrestling in the eighties. I think the, the, the piece on that YouTube video I showed, they said there were 18 premature deaths of people who died like under 35 of people who came through that territory at that time. Like mm. that particular wow. area was like an epidemic. Yeah. So. There was a, uh, I, I'm going to misquote. I didn't link the, the Benjamin Morris article, but he basically was recounting the first WrestleMania he ever watched. And then he's like, yeah. huh, I wonder how many of those guys are still alive and, and like pulled the list. And like more of them were dead than I'm alive. Oh my alive. Gosh. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Um, so I, anyway, I just want to open up the table to talk about it in any way. I want to acknowledge it. Cause I think for people who don't, aren't really into the know of wrestling. All they know is it looks like trashy soap opera. It's air quotes fake. Yeah, it's fake, but you're also putting your body on the line in a lot of ways more than the NFL players are. Uh, You don't have, most of these people don't have health insurance, at least definitely not through the wrestling association they're with. Um, Anyway, I just want to give you guys a space to talk about that and and maybe why I think it's important for us to maybe reconsider the role, Mm -hmm. uh, the support wrestlers have uh, in order to continue to do their performance art. Yeah, it's a tough one because I, I again I say again like I, with with any kind of contact sport I have a little bit of a yeah a wince a, a or a, even to a slight degree a moral like why do you why do we why do we sensationalize yeah brutality yeah in this way but I also don't want to discredit the it as an art form for people who enjoy it because there's definitely some sick, disgusting, twisted movies I like that someone could also <laughs> say is psychologically damaging to people. So, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. martyring myself here, but I just, I, but yeah, I do think there's um, the, the, the degree of intensity that you have to, again, like harm your body. I can't see any real positive outcome of that, you know? So I, I, it's something that, I, I can appreciate as again like as as a distant like mm-hmm. art form without actually maybe being like a you know like invested in it mm-hmm. in the way that some people are for the the more sensational aspect of it that mm-hmm. um, that I think we we see in a lot of different um, uh, sports practices but mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think the scene with Mike at the press conference is especially telling oh, so gosh. he gets the was... shoulder injury um the, and... he had this he had like uh stroke symptoms right it was a toxic shock so he he had a he had like a hundred and seven degree fever <sighs> yeah uh from an infection from the surgery and so he went into a coma for a little bit and when he came right. out of it the fever had caused brain damage okay yeah, yeah. so he yeah. just the best way to say it is just he wasn't just quite all there right oh yeah, yeah. no it was very yeah. visible and and yeah. he his even had his yeah. his fingers were curling and everything yeah. yeah yeah and i think that's really telling because so many it's so 
tough, especially like for, for the injuries that are actually like televised. Like I think the one that comes to mind really is um, when Nyla Jax accidentally breaks Becky Lynch's nose on yeah. TV mm-hmm. and she is just two fountains of blood. Like it was yeah. a spot that went wrong. And, but then what ends up happening is they end up working it in as a real story beat. So this yeah. actually, her nose actually broke. It wasn't yeah. fake or anything like that, but that it wasn't ended up even being meant a, to be like a right. big deal. Oh yeah. And then she it ended up being a storyline for the show. So that's where it gets really mm-hmm. complicated and ethically nebulous is like, we're, right contributing uh we fans or audience members it's like you're contributing to this machine that keeps people doing this stuff to themselves like whenever one of the questions is like oh when are you returning to the ring it's not it's thinking of him as a character and an and almost like an actor not necessarily as a a person a product yeah Yeah. or as a a person who got hurt um so there's a lot of care and attention that's given to um, it's called profiting off, profiting off of suffering. Hey, you got injured. Yes. How can we twist this so that we can make more money? Right. right. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, steroid abuse is so rampant. Um, we didn't really touch on like the drug stuff. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the drugs was a little, it was like hedged. It was there, but it's so much more rampant because of the amount of a lot of people are doing pills because they're in so much pain. Um, and they're doing steroids so that they can keep on top of a grueling training schedule and they can keep showing up day in day out. Like the federations themselves, they don't say, yes, please do steroids. We actually condone, we do not Mm -hmm. condone steroids, but for them to keep on top of performing seven days a week and training on the occasional off day, um, they have steroids just are used. Um, yeah. and that's like what's contributing to a lot. We, of we don't condone failure. this, but if you don't use it, you're also not going to be, yeah, in the you're not going right. to be successful. And, right. you know, to guarantee maybe, uh, a, an exclusive TV deal or cushy retirement, you got to keep putting your, putting your ass on the line for the company. So yeah. it's, it's a really, um, sad, I think the John Oliver WWE, um, mm-hmm. episode a is a, it really ties into this, um, mm-hmm. just the complexity of the ethics of dealing with real life like this and how the audience has a responsibility. It feels like everyone has a responsibility mm-hmm. for whenever these situations occur like they do. Yeah. And there's a, I've gotten into really interesting conversation with some people about this, about um, also like the, the, the choice that they have to do that and the ownership of their own bodies that they have, you know, that uh, there's been times where it's like, you might um, a a really heated conversation I had a year ago that uh, actually like reframed my thinking on a little bit was um, on um, a show um, that's sort of the secondary promotion right now called all elite wrestling about once a year, they'll have a women's street fight and it's, it's usually like a feud and they'll have these women and they'll do a lot of the things that like a lot of the men would do. That's more violent or bloody, um, and more kind of R rated, you know, brutal violence type stuff where they'll bleed and things like that. And I'm like, I just don't like to see women in that position. And there was a woman fan, uh, 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 um, who's great to talk to and all that stuff. But she was like, why, why should they be, why should they be told they can't do that? Yeah. If they're willing to do that and they're wanting to tell that story, let them, you know, mm-hmm. and you're, you're, you're telling them they can't express themselves in that way, you know? And I was like, ah, you know, but I feel like I'm coming from the right heart. You know, it's like, 
I, I just don't like seeing women bleed, you know? Mm-hmm. And she's like, what, what, what if that, what, what if I don't like men bleeding, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just became this really interesting thing about agency over your own body and what yeah. you want to do. And so these people are like, this is the most, you know, there's a, there's a guy right now um, who is about to retire, um, who his body is starting to break down a little bit. And he said, this is my last year. And he's pushing himself really hard in the year. And a lot of people are questioning, like, should you be doing that and things like that? And he's like, I never feel more alive than when I'm doing this. Yeah. So who are you to tell Take me that away. I can't? Yeah. Yeah. And so there's something to that. There's also this like, but yeah, but I've struggled with that a lot. And I think um, I think the culture of the business has changed a bit because of stories like the Von Erics and yeah. the people who died in the late 90s who came up through that big money, steroid, and lots of drugs era. They saw all these people that they grew up watching die prematurely and have learned from that in a bit. There's sort yeah. of a cliche that they're like, oh, back in the day they did cocaine, now they just play video games. And that's not entirely true. But I mean, there's a lot of preferred. But, well, there are a lot of wrestlers as a secondary <laughs> like, income do streaming. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Big, big I mean, that is definitely true. But there is a thing now where the, the current – if you were to talk to probably, you know, 20 wrestlers in their 20s and 30s right now, when they talk about the business, they talk about it like a job. They yeah. talk about yeah. it like this is what I do and I love doing it and I want to be the best at it. But it also provides me income and I'm, you know, I, it's not it's not that this is the calling of my life. It's not their identity. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that and that I am who this is. Like the blur, they, they, they're able to separate themselves from it yeah. in a yeah. way that I think the, like the virus or the bellwether. This. this is something. Yeah, of a whole generation of people yeah. who are just brainwashed. Yeah. You know. And it, to me, it's like like there's two paths to go down with that. Um, I watched this spot that had Seth Rollins recently. I don't know who who he was feuding against, but he took a big bump off of like one of the guide bars in the like uh-huh. arena. Um, and the way that it was cut, like it cuts to him on the ground. Yeah. Whereas there's actually like someone at the the match BTS footage like not sponsored by WWE right. where there's like a pad. He actually takes the bump on a pad, like a, yeah. like a foam pad. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like hopefully more safe. And then like cut to the, him on the ground. So there, there are ways to like theatrically enhance the right. action to make it have the illusion of being more dangerous while trying to provide that more of that safety rail. Um, I mean, I know it's still wrestling and everyone yeah. still gets injured and, yeah, he's a big star and all that. When well, upper management is there, hasn't there's changed someone's, a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone's paying a little bit more attention to that. Um, yeah. Like the Von Erich grandsons, they're wrestling. You yeah. Know? yeah, they just wrestled last this weekend. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And, On TV. Okay. And I think that's an interesting perspective of like the changing attitudes towards work. Like it's not just wrestling that is yeah. decoupling my identity or our identities from the job that we do. It's every, I feel yeah. like every industry is having a reckoning with this now. It's like, Oh, we can't just take away your 15 minute break and, and break, break a bunch of labor laws and just like bully you around. You have agency to quit your job. You can do other things. Like it seems like that's coming to a head in a bunch of industries and a lot of unionization you know, happening in gaming right. and tech industries right yeah. now. Yeah. Yep. Service workers and, well, more we could talk about, but unfortunately, we are past time by quite a bit, actually. Approval <laughs> uh, discussion. With that, uh, with that said, it's been such a pleasure talking with each of you about this movie. Uh, so, real quick, I'll go around the table and give uh, you all a chance to let our listeners know where they can keep up with you and all your work. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for bringing a lot of your historical perspectives, but also yeah. just your general wrestling knowledge. If our listeners want to hear you talk more about that where can they follow you <laughs> so i host uh co-host a uh, weekly podcast that drops on tuesdays called the boom where we talk about uh all elite wrestling specifically uh which is on tbs and tnt 
Um, we don't really get into WWE or that kind of where we're about this one show. So it's basically a weekly recap preview, just kind of talking. And we, and we really focus a lot on the storytelling aspects of like, you know, booking and, and where things are going and things like that. Um, so that's, uh, free. Look for, if you search for uh, fight game media, um, there's one feed that contains several shows in mine and I'm one of the weekly shows. Um, other than that, I don't really publicly like get into the discourse just because of how it affects my algorithm. But, um, <laughs> I'm on threads a lot and I'm probably gonna be talking about the kind of stuff more there. It's always kind of, you know, curating the, my different worlds in that. Uh, so threads, I'm pretty much off Twitter now. But uh, but you can probably life still follow me up there. Yeah, life good good life choices. I good yeah, life at choice. Kevin Ely at all wherever <laughs> you want to find me. <laughs> all right, Alexandra Bohannon. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at by Alex Bohannon. That's B Y A L E X B O H A N N O N. And that's where um, I talk a little. I talk about writing. I talk about movies, and it's kind of my um, writer outlet, if you will. Listeners, check it out. There you go, LeBron Chapman. Um, you can follow my um, film reviews on Letterboxd uh, under the handle black underscore um, Cinna underscore man. Um, and in the new year, they may be housed at a new location. More on mm-hmm. that soon. Okay. Yeah. Very exciting. Stay tuned, listeners. <clears throat> um, you can also catch me on all the things, threads. Not really on X anymore, if I'm being honest. Uh, but yeah, threads, letterboxed, Instagram, at C Masters Talk. That's letter C Masters Talk. And you can find all of our podcasts as well as some other essays, including uh, Daniel Bokemper's writing a, an in-depth review uh, piece on the Iron Claw. So if you want to keep up with more of what we're talking about there, head it, find it all over at the cinematropolis.com. Uh, thank you so much, listeners, for joining us. We'll catch you again next time. When we return for our final episode of the year, we're going to be doing our annual countdown of our top five films of 2023. Uh, very excited uh, for the, all of you who are celebrating a holiday, whatever holiday it may be. We hope you have a happy holiday season, and we'll catch you again next time. <laughs>